welcome back to He's a Giant, the pod about all things college football and all things Giants football. I'm your host, Sal, with my co-host, Monty. What's going on, man? What's going on, Sal? Just watching some of this uh, Thursday night football game, you know, praying that I can make it to the next round of my fantasy league. How are you doing? I'm good. I was watching uh, the beatdown that Matt Stafford was laying on the team that just laid a beatdown on us a few days ago. Yeah, and we played we started here. a couple weeks here. They got a little mini buy before they get to rest up, stretch a little bit. Yeah. Before they come into town. Fun Giants fun. have the Eagles. Yeah, the Giants have the Eagles on Christmas Day. That should be fun. Um, and then they've got the uh, the Rams on short rest. We'll get to that. Uh, today's episode is our mailbag episode. So uh, we've gone through all sorts of stuff with college football. We've done our our a lot our state of the Giants breakdown. Today, we're just going to try to answer some questions from some of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you guys. Uh, before we get started, remember to follow us. Follow us at, at He's a Giant Pod on Twitter, slash X. Follow me at Queens underscore guy. Follow Monty at, at Monte Cristo at M O N T E C R I 5 T O. And make sure to subscribe to our pod if you like what you're hearing. We're on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Like, subscribe, five stars, all the things that help us grow. We appreciate you guys. Let's uh, get into it. Unless you want to go into some other giant stuff, there's not a whole heck of a lot going on in Giants world right now. Yeah, no, not a whole lot. We, we you know, we lost to the Saints, like you mentioned, and the the Tommy DeVito fun seems to be about over. Going to the <laughs> Eagles, Rams, Eagles. So, I think we're on the draft season. I think that's where everybody is. There's the the little bit of hope of playoffs. I don't think many of I don't think I, me and you at least didn't really see that as something that's going to happen. But you know, it was still possible. Now it's pretty much impossible. I think everyone's kind of moved their mind. It's not the impossible. There's an approximate 0.2%. Chance. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's not impossible. So you're saying there's a chance. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying there's a chance. Um, yeah. We're, now it's just a matter of where do we land. Yep. Where do we land in the draft board? And that's going to depend on what the Giants do and what these teams around them do. So just kind of sit back and watch what the, how the last few weeks play out see what happens and then we'll get into some interesting conversation based on where we land because that's when that's when draft season really begins is when you know where, where your team is sitting and who's sitting above them and who's behind them we got a couple games this week that are gonna be big you got washington first the jets washington beat the jets so that'll move us up if jets win at least it like takes it away from being a tiebreaker type thing that'll just move us ahead even though we're already ahead and then cardinals versus bears we really want the Bears, I think, to win that that one. I mean, especially, you know, if Cardinals end up that two spot, maybe you have a shot to trade up. So, yeah, some interesting <laughs> games. Monty, holding out hope. You got to well, love it. A little bit. He's <laughs> holding out hope. Uh, we'll get to all that stuff. Um, I'm kind of ready to just see where it lands. Yep. But with that, man, do you want to get into this? Uh, get into this mailbag here? Yeah. So let's get into the first one. Uh, first question here. A good friend of mine, Nikki Snacks, after spending so much draft capital on O-line, I think it's time to get aggressive in free agency with proven vets. Who are some names to look out for, particularly at the guard position? One of the most, you know, sober, rational questions Nikki Snacks has ever asked, so appreciate it, Snacks. Um, what do you, what do you got there, Sal? For that, I don't I, I don't know Nikki Snacks personally, but I I know him by reputation, and <laughs> th- uh, that this just sounds. Look what the Giants have done. <laughs> look what the Giants have done. I'm sorry, man. One day we'll one day we'll sit down and have a drink together, and we'll, I'll you know we'll try to get you back right. Uh, but 
Uh, no, so I agree with Nikki here with snacks that you know I, I do think we're gonna need help in in uh, in the form of some veterans added to this line because you can't just keep going into the draft, you know, drafting guys high, throwing them in. We need a lot of help in the online. So let's just start from the beginning. We've been on this, and I think everybody's on this at this point. We can't judge what we're gonna do with this O line till we take the current O line coach, punt him off the East River, you know, <laughs> off the bridge into the East River, and get ourselves a new O line coach. So let's start there. And let's assume that we've got a real O-line coach who knows how to assess our talent. So the first thing I would do is say, hey, tell me what you got, real coach. Tell me what we got in Evan Neal. Yeah. Is this man a tackle or is he a guard? Because obviously that changes things, right? Because if if you got lucky, you got a guy like Munchak, and he took one look at Evan Neal and said, not a tackle. This guy's a guard. I think that changes the way you approach a little bit. But let's assume he says, yeah, that's a tackle. Um, we compiled a list of a few names free agent and uh, old linemen that I think are worth looking at. So right off the bat, I think the three guys, at least on the interior uh, that we like are Robert Hunt, who's currently on Miami, Michael Unwenu, who's currently on the Patriots and Ezra Cleveland, who was traded midseason and is currently on the Jaguars. So um, solid interior O linemen um, with some flexibility, at least for a couple of them to play some tackle. Um, I think that's how we view these guys. Uh, I know you especially like Unwenu uh, because the guy's like a, He's a fairly dominant guard, yeah. Uh, but he can slide over and play right tackle and be very serviceable there. Uh, so I think those guys right off the bat are like three guys you would want to go get. Um, what are your thoughts on those first three? Yeah, man. I mean, those three are the ones that immediately pop off the page. I mean, those are three that we've been talking about for a while here. Um, with all three of them, they have tackle experience, as you've mentioned. So, you know, that's big, especially if you're going in with the plan of uh, – Evan Neal playing tackle because if he sucks, you have the option of like, all right, this guy's tackle experience. We can knock Neal back inside, move this guy outside, and you get through the season and, you know, figure out the right tackle situation next offseason. You have a guy who could work for now. Um, the top, the guys who I really would prefer would be Robert Hunter or Mike, Michael Wenwu. Um, both of those guys are dominant guards, absolute yeah. physical freaks. They're both very you know large humans um robert hunt uh a lot of giant fans would love robert hunt robert hunt he has like he has that mauler attitude he wants to bury you in the dirt um he's a very good in the run run protection he's good in pass protection i think he is the ideal person to go after um he actually is a a robert sale guy he was over at a ul lafayette with him at the time and he's really developed in the pros here. Uh, I'm friends with some Miami Dolphins fans, and they they love Robert Hunt. Um, very big, very high in him. Then Michael Wenwu, you know, he's been dominant since he's a rookie, really. It's funny because he's he's had some, like, ups and downs with the Patriots. He got benched at some point, but, like, I don't know necessarily what's up with that, but everything indicates he's been like a great player since you walk in the door. He was like an all rookie team type player. He was like PFF's highest ranked guard like a couple years ago. And he's been consistently like good pass protection numbers, good run run blocking numbers, all all that type of stuff. And he's just a giant. I think he's like 330 pounds. So um yeah they both are they're both, he's like he's six three three fifty. Yeah and uh, hunt is hunt is like six six three fifty. Six six three thirty five actually. Okay, so they're both both big dudes. Yeah, and then Urza Cleveland, 
Um, he's not going to get the money that Robert Hunt and Michael Wenwell are going to get. Those guys are easily going to get, I think, like 12 plus million. But yeah, um, Urza Cleveland will probably come in closer to maybe eight or nine. And he's and he's a solid player. He's a guy who doesn't dominate necessarily anything, but he's a solid run blocker, a solid pass protector. He has guard tackle flexibility. Um, you know, I he's a very athletic player. I think he's young. He's coming off his rookie deal as, as all these guys that we named are. So um, he's definitely that next tier for me, but he fits that prototype that we're talking about from the kind of Robert Hunt, Michael, when we with the guys that have that guard tackle flexibility. So uh, we have some other names too, but do you have anything else on those three? No, I think those are like the, the big three targets in, in free agency. Um, the one thing I would add about Enwenu, which is so interesting about him, is that the dude is he's he plays like it seems like every year he's playing a different position. He slides from right tackle to right guard, right guard to right tackle. Um left guard. and this year he's played yeah, he's played left guard. This year he's playing mostly right tackle out of necessity. He's dominant, absolutely dominant at right guard, as you mentioned, both in pass and run blocking. Yep. At right tackle, he's really solid. Like he's like a league average right tackle. I mean, he's not bad. He's not right dominant, but he's not bad. Right, and he's a pretty good run blocker no matter where you put him. And I think that's, again, we've talked about that at right tackle. You want, if you're going to err on something, even though it's a passing league, you want that that other tackle to at least be a solid, reliable run run blocker and at least, or maybe a dominant run blocker and somebody who's at least like reliable and steady at, in pass blocking. Yeah, that's uh, so I think he fits, he, he fits the mold well. I think I would agree. That these guys are both young. They're both in the 2020 draft class. This is their first, second contract. Hunt was a second round pick, I think, or a third round pick. And when it was like a sixth round pick out of Michigan, he was a steal. they're, they're, I mean, they're both going to get probably in the territory. What did, what did Chris Lindstrom get last year? Like 18, 20 million or something like he that. Got, yeah. He got paid. Let's see. Hang on. Speaking of, you know, we were, I mentioned that, uh, I was going to mention we, we PFF dropped their, uh, free agent list. So we were going to look at some of those names off of there, but speaking of, they do have, Contract predictions, so we can name some oh, of these okay, good. guys. So the right. prediction for Robert Hunt is four years, $70 million, $42 mm-hmm. million guaranteed, $17.5 million per year. So they're, they're that, that sounds right. a heavy contract for him, um, which I, you know, I think is a spot to invest. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate from paying. Someone. What about, what about Unwenu? And Wenwu, they Probably have the actually listed as a tackle, which makes sense because that's what he's doing this year. They have four years, fifty-eight million, thirty-three point two five guaranteed, fourteen point five million a year. So that's a little bit more affordable than Robert Hunt, which just makes sense. Robert Hunt is uh, the last couple of years has been the better player when he was better earlier on in his career. But um, you know, I think I would pay both those. I mean, when seems like the better yeah. deal of those, but I'd pay either. It's actually similar, if I recall, to the Mike McGlinchey deal that he got last year to Denver as the right tackle went from the 49ers to Denver in free agency. I think he got around like somewhere between like 14 and 15 million a year or some, something along those lines. And it's um, out while, we, while I'm here, Urza Cleveland, they had three years, 28.5 million, 9.5 million guaranteed, 17.25 million guaranteed. So right around thought, a little yeah. bit under 10 million, so, what I was thinking. Now, the premium you're playing for guys like Unwenu and, um, and Hunt is a little bit of positional flexibility, I think. Um, I would pay it. I agree with this like premise that you want to invest in these guys. They're young. So the reason we put these guys at the top of the list, they're all young. They came out in, like the, I 
they were both like in the 2020 class. Cleveland, I want to say, was in the 21 class. Uh, I can't remember where exactly. Cleveland was 20 as well. Was he also 20? Okay. Um, that's true. He'd be a, he wouldn't be a free agent then. Um, so, right. So these guys are all young. They're like 25, 26 years old. Um, they probably have a solid five to seven years left in the NFL. You could give these guys of, of high of high level production. I think you give these guys like a four or five year deal, backload the deals. It's worth investing the money in like one really solid interior lineman who can who really can play the outside too, play on tackle. I think that that would be a strong, smart investment for the Giants to make because there are two big needs that I think we can hit in free agency that would really make draft weekend a lot easier. One is that we've talked about it so many times, this position, right? Like the guard slash tackle flexibility position, a high-end guard, a solid tackle type player. The other is is pass rusher or yep. you know, probably an edge rusher. So, I mean, I think that's another area we want to get into eventually. But for, for linemen, I think these are the three guys we would invest money. So I'd have no problem handing either of those contracts to these guys backloading the deal, investing in them for four to five years. Would you have any problem with it? No. And, I, and I'll say like, you know, people are kind of scared with pay, going after offensive linemen for agency because we've been so bad at it. But with the exception of Nate Solder, who, you know, was an older player when we when we signed him in the first place, we've really kind of half-assed free agency at offensive line every step of the way. We've never really invested at the top of the market outside of Solder. And I think that it's well overdue. And I think just doing that once, especially at interior offensive line where these guys hit the open market way more often than offensive tackles do. I think it's worth doing that. And, um, you know, the one other thing I wanted to say was that, you know, especially with the first two, you mentioned that gives you that guard tackle flexibility and, you know, what we mentioned, the plan would be you play him at guard and you can move him to tackle. If you have to move Neil inside, whatever. And again, assuming Neil's going to play tackle next year, I think. And this kind of leads us into some of the other ones we were talking about. I think the other plan you could go into this with, you couldn't, you could not spend huge money on one guy. You could spend decent money on a guard, decent money on a swing tackle and being like, you're my starting guard and you are going to be a swing tackle. If either of these guys get hurt or if Evan Neal is just not up for the job. So I think there's some names in this next group of, guys where fall into that so um i'll read off some of them that that pff had here uh one is jermaine element elmanor i think is how you say he's from the raiders he's a luminar luminar he's a he's a long time swing tackle um he's been the right tackle for a couple of years now a name that all of us know very well kevin zeitler is a free agent this year uh kevin dotson is a free agent Damian Lewis, John Runyon, and uh, George Font. So, um, you know, we can go into some combinations with some of those guys and talk about them in general, but do you have any first thoughts about any of those players? Yeah, I mean, Illuminor is a guy who's been around the league for a bit. He was on the Ravens, uh, the Raiders now, as you mentioned. He's about, he's closing in on 30 years of age pretty soon. Actually, I think he just turned 29. Um you know, so he's he's got a lot of experience. He's solid. This year, I was just looking up his stats. He's played 125 snaps at left tackle, 586 at right tackle. So there's your classic swing tackle guy. Lots of snaps. And he's got solid run and pass blocking grades on PFF. Uh, haven't looked into his film recently, but he's been a reliable player. Um, I don't know what they're projecting his salary at. I'm willing to bet it's not a ton. They have it at 7.25 million per year. 
I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's solid, right? For a guy who can play a swing tackle role, who could be a starter. I think that's, that's a good deal. Um, Zeitler, we all know, you know, he's, he's, he was with the Giants. We, we basically, we cut him to basically, uh, well, we traded him, I guess. No, we cut him. We traded. Oh, that's right. We cut him after we signed Adoree Jackson, right? It wasn't that the deal. Something um, like that, yeah. Yeah. And so basically the money that went to Jackson went, you know, was taken from Zeitler. He's been really solid since he latched onto the Ravens. He's been their starting guard for years. He's getting a little up there in age, but he's still really solid. I can't imagine he's gonna cost a ton to sign at this point in his career. Probably looking at like another seven, six million dollar deal. Yeah, that's seven point five for him as well for two years. Yeah, I think that's pretty Total or no, oh, a year? Oh, a year for two years, 15. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, Dotson's another guy. Same kind of thing. He got traded this year from the Steelers. He's on the Rams. Look how the Rams rebuilt their line so quickly. He's been solid. He won't cost much. Um, so that batch, I think these are your like sort of next level free agents, right? These are like you could take one or one or two of these guys and basically pay them. So you could come up with a world where you pay, let's say, Zeitler and Illuminor, and you've got your swing tackle and you've got a starting guard, and they are going to both cost about as much as it would have cost to sign like Robert Hunt. I'll, so that's one way you can look at it. I'll say I didn't expect Kevin Dotson to be expensive, but PFF, we'll see if they're right, but they had a high prediction on him. They have him as four years, 69 million, 17.25 per year. That I for a guy who I'm looking at these numbers don't look great, like a 73.6 pass block oh. grade. Um, you know, he's a 15% positive run block grade, wow. which is good, but that's a big number. Yeah. Um, for a guy who just age? got traded because he was he wasn't doing performing great in uh Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, I get and now he's in like like a zone scheme, which doesn't necessarily fit what we're doing. And maybe they'd be like, Hey, it was the better fit. For I think, him, it, but... I, I think we, we want to run a zone scheme. Our guys just suck at it. Yeah. Uh, Cause they're not, they're not well coached, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a really, he's been a really good run blocker uh, this year. Maybe that's yeah. what it's based off of. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, that seems a little rich, but if that's true, I would not necessarily invest that kind of money in him. Um and I think for the next, like, and then you mentioned like the other guy, did you, did you mention Lewis Runyon and Fant yet? No, I haven't mentioned anything. Yeah. All right. So like, well, those are kind of the next batch of guys, but I think in this group, the way I would approach it is what you started with. I would, if I'm not paying in Wenu, who I think is worth paying by the way, cause he's young and he's so good. Yeah. Um, if he shakes, loose, I'm not going to go after him. Right. If you're just looking for bodies who are just solid, nothing great, but just solid, reliable, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a solid way to approach the line. I think you signed two of these guys, um, Illuminor and Zeitler, something like that. Just keeping in mind that Zeitler's not here for the long haul. You know, he might give you a year you're, if you're lucky, maybe two. Um, and you still have to replace him. You're not getting a long-term solution with these guys. Uh, but you're also not investing a lot. So they would be short-term solutions. Yeah, um, I mean, I think with like Lewis and Runyon, you get like a solid pass protector. Lewis is a little older, but offers a little bit more in the in run blocking. Uh but you know, I, I, like you said, I think the solid. Another guy we didn't mention either was uh, George Font. George Font came over to the Texans on a cheap deal. He's an older guy; he's been around the league forever. He was on the Jets before this. He's really he, solid player. Yeah, I think he signed like a one-year, two million or three million dollar deal with the Texans, and he got brought in there, and he's starting now, and he's helped really fix that Texans offensive line. I've actually. 
you know, I've compared our offensive line a lot to um, the situation the Texans were in going into this offseason. You know, you look at the similarities. We both have, you know, that all-pro left tackle. We have, uh, you know, a, a tackle we spent a first-round pick on who hasn't necessarily lived up to what you would hope he would be, and he might move into guard like they had with Titus Howard. I think that's who it, who it is. I'm, I think. Yep. Um, and then, you know, they have, some younger players at Kenny and Green, he's been hurt, but we have John Michael Smith, you know, along those lines. And they just went out and they got Shaq Mason. They got George Font. They got a couple solid veterans and boom, they'll like got a good quarterback, pick, picks a couple holes and they're, they're lying, their offense. It's, it's cooking now. So I, th- I don't it's think three, we're that far away from doing something like that. It's a three-step process or a three-prong process, right? Number one, you got to get the right O-line coach. None of this matters unless you get the right O-line coach. At this point, you cannot go into next year. You can't even go into you can't even go into the middle of January with Bobby Johnson employed by your team. Like literally, he's got to be handed the pink slip the moment the, the you know the last the last like few seconds tick off in that Philadelphia game. Like and he's got to be out of the building. You need to have your guy in place quickly. I hope I hope they're looking at guys to replace him because they need to move on this. Um, you need to assess your players quickly because free agency starts fast. Yep. You know, it'll start, uh, you know, you only have what, like after the Super Bowl, you only have a few weeks before the free agency period starts. Mm-hmm. So you have a few weeks to get your your staff in order, which, I mean, we're not going into that today, but like as we discussed, there may be some real shakeup in the Giants coaching staff at the end of the year. And then you got to get all these things sorted out, the scheme you're running, everything you're doing. You've got to assess your own players internally. And you're going to be doing that while those guys are not even in the building. Um and then you've got a few weeks to decide how are we approaching for agency. So they got to hire someone as soon as possible. I'm hoping Joe Shane's looking at somebody right now. Um, One thing I'll throw into that too. I've mentioned it on spaces. I think there's a chance we could end up coaching the senior bowl based on how high we're picking and having returning staff. You're going to want these guys to be working with them at the senior bowl. So you got to have, right. Guys. You want it. Right. You got to, you got to move quickly to dump these guys that you have currently, if you're moving on and, and get new coaches in. Um, and then the, the, the second prong of that is obviously just bring in good talent, either through a combination of free agency and the draft or just assessing your own guys. And then I think the last part, the last part of it, which is where the Texans really benefited, obviously they got their quarterback, you know, uh, best offense. my friend authentic always says the best offensive lineman is a good quarterback. And, um, and I think that's true. A guy who understands his protections and knows how to sense pressure and gets the ball out quickly will make his linemen look better. doesn't mean they're playing better, but it takes pressure off them. Yep. So that's all the stuff we got to do. But I think these are, you know, to, to kind of round back to the question, I'd invest in one or two of these guys. I would take whatever cap space we got. We don't have a lot, of it, but I don't care. Like just push the damn money back because you should have more next year. So I would definitely go like, all in on either one of these top end three guys or two of the mid tier guys load up our offensive line with some talent and some depth force guys to compete for jobs. So those are the names we're looking at. So just to recap our top three guys, these are kind of solo hires, Robert Hunt, Michael and Ezra Cleveland. And then the next three guys are Jermaine Illuminor, Kevin Zeitler, Kevin Dotson, who might be a little bit too pricey. And then Damian Lewis, John Runyon, George Fant, some combination of these guys, I think, would really go a long way at solidifying our line. And one thing I'll mention to like what you said, kind of we're pushing the money back, is if you get like a Robert Hunt or a Mike Owenwu, 
you know, their cap hit in the first year is going to be like seven, eight million. If you're getting a Kevin Zeitler or something, that cap, it's still probably going to be like five, six million. It's a short term deal. Yeah. yeah. While you can do like a five year deal with Robert Hunt and you can make that money basically be the same over the first year. There is definitely value in going after one of the big guys here, like a Hunt or an Wenu go a long way towards fixing your line. And they should be a, a top priority for Joe Shane. I mean, those I, every team needs help, but the Giants really need help. So they got to be looking at this. Uh, and they, I think they do free up like, I don't know, six or seven million dollars in cap space when they when they're going to cut Mark Lewinsky inevitably. So that's going to help. You know, that money right there is going to help pay for one of these guys. All right, you want to go on to question number two? Yep, why don't you go ahead and read it off? All right, this question comes from our buddy Chris Collate. Can you guys look into Chris Braswell, edge linebacker from Alabama? I want your guys' opinion on him and see how he fits into a wink defense. So why don't you handle that, Monty? Yep, so shout-out Chris. Actually, I met Chris at uh, the Patriots game, uh, Talking Giants tailgate. So, now thanks for asking the question, Chris. Uh, this was something that I was kind of hoping somebody would ask about, or at least we'd have an excuse to go into a little bit. I was hoping we'd have an option to get this guy in our uh, seven-round mock draft and so we could talk about him a little more. So, happy to have the opportunity here. Chris Braswell is a guy I'm really interested in. Uh, I think that there's going to be an opportunity to get an edge rusher at the beginning of the second round. But it's hard to identify who that might be. You know, we'll, we have another question coming up to go into the top edge rushers a little bit more. But I don't know if any of those top five guys will be there in the second round. So now I'm kind of looking at Chris Braswell as the sixth guy. And he's had a really productive year. Um, but, but, you know, before we go into any of that, I just want to kind of go into the measurables here. Because that's a spot that's going to make him jump off boards and make him really like getting everybody's radar uh you know for anybody who reads it bruce feldman does the freak list every single year and he was number seven on the freak list he's six three 256 pounds he has a 38 and a half inch vertical he runs a 21.9 mile per hour on the gps he has a 405 bench press 405 hang clean he squats 705 pounds guy is just an absolute total freak so you know chris braswell is somebody who i think is going to fly up boards and has a ton of upside uh why don't you go a little bit into uh some of chris braswell's game we love this guy so he was somebody that we didn't get into in our uh, initial review of edge rushers he just kind of fell outside of our top like five guys and our and our two sleepers, but this is a dude who really came onto the scene this year. And I'm assuming Chris, this is why you're asking the question. So last year, the edge room at uh, Alabama was Will Anderson, who obviously went number three overall in the draft to the Texans, um, and then he had Dallas Turner on the other side, who was really kind of a limited pass rusher. He was more of just like a speed guy. Right. And, and not a whole lot else. So Turner took the Will Anderson role this year. And, and you know, we'll we'll get to him eventually. But Turner basically be, took all his athletic traits and became just a well-rounded freak, um, you know, dominant player. But interestingly enough, whether that's because of Turner or just because this guy got really good all of a sudden himself, 
Braswell, Monty just mentioned he's an athletic freak. He had an insane year this year. So I'll go through some of his data. He had an 88.6 pass rush grade uh, on PFF. That is extraordinarily high, just behind Dallas Turner, who is 89.9. And Dallas Turner is, uh, you know, look, he's kind of being viewed as like somewhere between edge one and edge three of this class, depending on who you talk to. Uh, Production-wise, he had more pressures than Turner. Turner had 52 total pressures this year. Brazil had 54. Turner had 10 sacks. Brazil had 13. 13 sacks is nuts in a 13-game sample uh, in college. And his pass rush win rate, which is, you know, we we use that number to try to predict how they would do in, like, pass sets and, you know, try to predict NFL success. Anything above 20% is considered elite. That's what, like, the top guys, like the Nick Boses do. Um, Micah, the... Uh, why am I forgetting this idiot's name? Mike, Mike Parsons. <laughs> Micah Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Micah Parsons. Um, these guys are in the 20s. Dallas Turner is at 20.4%. The top guys in this class are above 20%. But Chris Brassel's right behind them at 18.5%. He's, I mean, so the data loves the guy, right? The data is telling you he gets a ton of pressures. He wins pass rush moves. Um, he generates a lot of quarterback hits. He's an outstanding class rusher. His his run defense leaves a little bit more to be desired. He's not as well-rounded as Dallas Turner as a run defender, and he doesn't have as much of a versatile game. Um, but he's still pretty good. When you look at Chris Braswell in the film, the, the, the things that hop out are a couple of things. One, the guy has an explosive first step, and he, he really is like explosive. He generates a lot of speed and velocity and power with that first step. And then he takes that, converts it speed to power, and boom, and he, he jolts, tackles backwards. And that's kind of it. <laughs> like, that's yeah. his move, right? Like, he's he's sort of an un- – he's winning with just that. He's winning with speed to power at the college game. The question is, can he do that at the NFL level? He's going to have to develop a, a more versatile, like, repertoire of counter moves, spin moves, rip moves, the stuff that these guys have to win with at the NFL level. So um, that's – I think the pros and the cons of Braswell are basically the pros are he's highly productive. The data loves him and the predictive data that says he should be a good player at the NFL level all is in his favor, including his athletic profile. The, the, you know, the cons are really just, he has a limited repertoire as a pass rusher. He's winning with essentially a singular move, which may work even in the sec, but in the NFL, when you're facing some big boys, they can absorb that blow and just toss you to the side unless you have a counter move. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to depend on the tackle you're going against. Some tackles in the NFL, they'll work really well. But other games, if you don't have another move, you're going to get shut out. Uh, but, yeah, and I like Braswell. And, you know, I was watching some of the tape today on him to kind of, you know, get a better idea of it. And you kind of nailed it. Really explosive first step. Like I said, with speed to power. And he has this one move that he really, I mean, he you know, he has his bull rush. But another move he uses a lot. He takes the one arm. He extends the lineman, kind of gets him onto one foot, runs the power, and kind of tosses him. It, I was saying to you earlier, it kind of reminds me of the, a move that like Michael Strahan used to live and die by. He used to you know, extend that arm out, get that lineman on one foot, and kind of just chuck him to the side. You kind of have a little bit of that from Braswell. Obviously not as advanced as Strahan had it, but it reminded me of it a little bit. Um, you know, He has incredible closing speed. That, that's not surprising with the kind of athlete he is. Uh, once he kind of has the quarterbacks in his sights, he'll close on them fast. Uh, yeah, but like you said, he needs to, you know, he needs to add more moves to his game. Um, he doesn't, he's not the most bendy guy. 
kind of looks a little bit stiff, so he's gonna have to work with that. But you know, he, so here's here's so here's where he's interesting because Chris asked, "How does he fit in a wing system?" I don't know how versatile he is for a wing system, honestly. Like I think this guy is. He, He's actually, if we get a guy like Frazier, and I'm not thrilled about that idea, even though I think he's a good coordinator, but if you have a a guy like Frazier who runs a lot of 4-3 sets, I think this guy could be a good 4-3 defensive end, you know, because those guys are much more of the the true speed to power kind of, you know, power line, uh, interior, I mean, uh, defensive ends and defensive linemen. I think he could actually do well in that in that role in the NFL as sort of like the second guy behind Kayvon Thibodeau. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I do think he that would be a really good spot for him. But I will make the case for him with a wink system, and and this is why, because last year at Alabama, this is where I'll make it for it. Last year at Alabama, the, their main sets were uh, Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, and then Chris Braswell came in. He kind of ran that that cheetah role, I think is what they call it at Alabama, and he was kind of that third edge rusher who would come in there and, and would, would blitz and rush. And I, I think he showed a little bit of his versatility to kind of add to that pass rushing room. And, you know, he obviously is the athlete. He obviously has, um, you know, a, a ton of athleticism and size and speed to be kind of moved around. Uh, but I do agree with you. I think uh, he would fit a four, three def- defensive end really well, despite him not being like a, 280 pound type guy i think he 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 could play standing up or he could play with his hand in his hand in the dirt yeah i mean i i think some of that stuff like he's 6'3 he's 256 now i mean you would imagine in the nfl he's gonna play around 265 something like that right i mean that's plenty he's plenty big plenty plenty strong for that position and he's strong and he's and he's and he plays strong i don't think there's any lack of power in this game so so yeah so i i like him um do I view him as an edge one? I don't think so. I think he falls just below that category. I think he's projectable and could become that with a lot of with a lot of work. Um, but I think, you know, depending on who his coach is, I, I think at minimum this guy's a really solid edge two who can who can get to the pass get to the passer and help. But I don't think he's the the well rounded tree of a pass rusher and edge rusher like that Kayvon Thibodeau is. He's just he's not quite at that level. At least not today. He does, you know, he does, he does have the athleticism and I'll say to, to it, like Dallas Turner was looked and still is, was looked at the guy going into the season to be the guy. But I mean, he outproduced him like 13 sacks, incredibly impressive, more pressures, not by a lot, but like he outproduced him by a little bit. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure Dallas Turner being so talented helped him and he helped Dallas Turner as well. But, uh, so I don't know, like, I agree with you, but, um, you know, there's clearly, a high ceiling for Braswell based just purely based off how young he is and his athletic athletic upside. And and getting back to the, you know, the last question about using free agency to assist developing your roster. I think this is where you and I definitely see eye to eye on this. This is a strong defensive free agency class. And there's some really good interior alignment and some of the guys that I think the Giants could need. And we're I think, you know, on the O line side we should be investing but we definitely should be investing on the defensive side in free agency, in my opinion. Like we should at least look really hard at some of the guys coming out, try to get our hands on one of these pass rushers. Because while this, while this edge room is solid in the draft class, like adding one of these difference makers on defense could really go a long way, and not only making the defense better, but making the draft so much easier to navigate. 
But if we don't have that guy and we're looking for an edge rusher and we're looking on day two, which is probably where we should be looking for an edge rusher, most likely early day two, um, I think Braswell is going to be right in that range. I imagine he's going, he's probably going to land. I, I, we haven't seen, obviously, Brugler's list hasn't come out yet, but I'm guessing Braswell's going to land with like one of those borderline one round two grades. What do you think? Yeah, I think he'll be right there around that like 32 mark. Um, you know, he he's a talented player and uh he's you know, he's somebody who could come off the board before us round two even. It wouldn't surprise me if like a guy like Braylon Trice, who's a little bit older and less athletic, that he ends up going above him. You know, there's that's the worry, man. That's why I agree approaching us in free agency and getting that need knocked out of the way because you know we're gonna go into this a little bit in the next question, but it's a good edge class, uh, but you know it could start to dry up fast. And the Giants don't need an edge one. I mean, let's be real. Like Kayvon Thibodeau is our edge one, and and he's not perfect, and he's not fully developed yet, but he's pretty damn good, and he's developing into that. So we don't really need to like hit a home run, you know, on edge one. It would be great if we can get another one type uh, one of those guys, but I think if you add a really solid guy or or you know or an established pass rusher in free agency, it definitely takes the pressure off. Because if you really want an edge one in this class, and there's some really good ones, uh, and that's going to segue nicely to the next question, you probably got to hit them up in the first 15 picks, right? Somewhere in that range. Yep. Maybe tw- maybe top 20 at, at, at worst. So um, I think that's it on Braswell. Why don't you read the next question, and we'll just sway- segue right into that. Yeah, so great transition to the next question. And questions by uh, Jay Coops, 7900. He goes, are we potentially overlooking some edge studs in Dallas Turner, Leitu Latu, uh, Jared Verse, or is this not a dominant edge class? So, so Jake, yeah, thank you for the question, Jacob. Um, we're definitely not overlooking those guys. If you uh, if you listen to our edge uh, series earlier in the year, um, those guys were all in our top five list. And no, this this is not a deep edge class is how I would describe it. I don't think the depth in this edge class is as much relative to the other positions. There are other positions where it will go like three, four rounds deep, but the top end of this class, meaning like the top five to seven guys are dominant. And at least these top three guys are very dominant. Uh, So I would say that um, I wouldn't say we're overlooking them. Uh, And we'll talk about them one by one, but I would just say that where the giants overall roster needs are and already having invested a pick in Kayvon Thibodeau just two years ago I'm not sure that I would expect them to go and spend you know an early first round pick which is what you're going to need to spend on one of these guys on on Turner Latu and and Verse what do you think Monty yeah man it's an interesting thing with the edge class because it's top heavy but without really blue chippers it's it's a weird thing where there is probably five guys maybe four that i could all see go top 10 like any one of those it wouldn't shock me top 10 i just don't think any one of them are like a clear number one in any class type of type of guy um yeah there's no will anderson in this class there's no yeah so but you know to go into it a little bit it's that's a thing you could rank these guys in any order you want. So I'll 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 just kind of give you our, our top five here, and I'm not even gonna rank it. Just you know, you mentioned Dallas Turner, um, Leitu Latu, Jared Verse. I'm gonna throw uh J 
Chop Robinson and Braylon Trice in there. Those are like yep. five studs. And we just mentioned Chris Braswell, who I think is going to, you know, put himself into the end of that conversation. He isn't a guy who could play himself in the top 10, probably not Braylon Trice, just based off of, you know, you know, age and athleticism, but at least those first four, any one of those guys could be the edge one off this board would not shock me even a little bit. Yeah. So we should go one by one since he asked specifically about these three, who I, I would agree. These are your top three for sure. Like any way you slice it, these are your top three. I'll throw Chop Robinson um, in there too. He's worth having a conversation about. I think there, there are aspects of Chop Robinson's game and his profile that will probably slide him below these guys. Um, namely his, his size and, and his lack of a, of a repertoire. Yeah. I think he's, he's a speed athletic freak guy and he's, he's small. Um, and I think that, you know, that's where he wins. But um, again, you got to wonder, you got to wonder about that versus relative to these guys. So Dallas Turner, he's got the total package. I think if you were, if you were looking at anybody and saying, I'm going to create an edge rusher in a lab out of this class. And you try to put all the ingredients in, you get out Dallas Turner. Right? He's the athletic freak. Yeah. He can, he can turn and run in coverage. He can rush the passer. He can win from a three point stance. He can win standing up. He can win with power. He can win with speed. He has developed a very versatile pass rushing arsenal, which he didn't have last year. And he put it together this year, right? All sorts of spin spin moves and swim moves and chops. And, you know, he's he's got a nice repertoire as a pass rusher now. And something anybody who's been watching him play this year has noticed is the guy plays like a sociopath. Sure. I mean, he's out there looking to he's, – he's out there looking to do damage. And, you know, you want guys like that on your team. If you um, watch him versus LSU – He's 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 going after Jaden Daniels, shoving his he, face he, in the dirt after plays. Yeah, he's a mean he's a mean bastard. Like he he plays the game with a with an edge, and um, you know he pun intended. Uh, but <laughs> Dallas Turner is the kind is a difference maker. I would say he may not be like an elite elite kind of prospect, but he's a difference maker. Uh, you put him on any team, and he's going to immediately change not just the talent level of your edge room and your defense, but he's going to change the attitude. I think he plays a certain way that I think tends to be infectious, you know, and, and guys play with it with, with like a nastiness because of a guy like him. So I would love a guy like him. Um, I think from an all around standpoint, Latu Latu is the best edge rusher right now in this class. He does everything well. Um, I know he's your guy. You loved him more than I did in this, in the summer. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on Latu this year and his overall profile? Yeah, man. I mean, there's not a guy that could have like lived up to my hopes more in late two lot too. I mean, he was a guy who last year, you know, he had 12 sacks. He, you know, come first year coming back from a, a medical retirement. And that's, you know, the part to worry about him, but had a very productive year and, and, you know, hit all those numbers, the pass rush win rate and look projectable that he was going to take the next step. Hell did he, did he? I mean, like read off some of these numbers. He had a 96.4 PFF grade. That's like an all time type grade. 94.4 pass rush grade. Um, 94.8 pass, uh, pass set, pass rush grades only in pass sets. Um, a 24.7 pass rush win, win rate. That's like a quarter of the time he was winning on pass rushes. Uh, 81.9 run defense grade. So his, his run defense grade is still up there. He had 15 sacks this year. I mean, this dude, you know, at what is he? 
he was 6'5", 265. He's a big dude. He might not be the most athletic guy in the world, but he he's a good enough athlete. He's definitely a plus athlete, but he has every move in the book. He has every pass rush move out there. He he has he goes back to that toolbox and will bring bring it to every single rush and change it up and he has a good plan. This guy is as technically sound of an edge prospect as I might have ever seen. Um the the issue is really just that he's medically retired at one point coming out of Washington. He medically retired in 2020 uh 2021. Played again in 2022. Um, and you know, it was a neck thing. It's concerning. Uh, he's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's not bad by any means, but he's not like Dallas Turner special. Um, but if it wasn't for the medical thing, that it's not the athleticism that would have a problem. This guy, this guy would be a blue chip for me, but I can't do it with, with the history. What about you? I think if Latu didn't have the medical retirement, he's sort of a slam dunk top 10 pick. Um, I wouldn't say top five in this particular class because I don't think any of these guys are breaking top five in this class. But top ten, yes. Um, I'm not sure he's going in the top ten just because of that history. Um, I think this is a guy who I don't think he's going to fall like too far, but he's going to fall further than he should because of his medical history. So I wouldn't be surprised if out of all these guys, he's the last one drafted. Um I would take a swing on him potentially, depending on where he is. But I, I still think it's going to end up being too high for the Giants. Uh, but he, do I think we're like underestimating him? No, I think you put Latu on the Giants or any other team. He's a dominant pass rusher. He's a dominant player. He's good against a run. He's good against a pass. He does everything well. I mean, he's a great player. I, the medical stuff is going to scare people off, but I wouldn't be too afraid because he's played. Obviously, they're going to review this guy's medicals at the Combine. They're going to go through his history. If he if he passes the test, hopefully he's on their board and they'd consider him. I'd be thrilled to have the guy on the team. Um, but again, even though he's going to fall, I think he's going to be a little bit too rich for our blood considering our needs. What do you think? Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's just – I mean, if you, if you can get into range in the second round, he gets to 20s or something, I'd be willing to move up. But I don't think he's going to make it that far. Mm. Um but he, I don't know. He's, like, I, I, he's going to be in the mid teens. I think yeah. like, I don't, I, I think he's going to be, I think he's the kind of guy like everybody's looking at him and saying, if it wasn't for the medical stuff, I would have taken him an eight or yeah. seven or something like that in this class. And he's going to drift down the board and somebody eventually like in the mid teens is going to be like, there's no way I'm taking somebody else over this guy. Right. Just now. like Jalen Phillips. Um, and he's better. Than Jalen yeah. Phillips. I think Phillips went 19 or yeah. something like that or 18 or 19 or something like that. So It'll be something like that. Um, but whoever gets him is going to get a great pass rusher, a great edge rusher. Um, the other guy on the list, Jared Verse, was our consensus one starting the season. He hasn't really played worse than you expected. I think some of these guys just raised their game and kind of caught up to him. Um, so he's, you know, Jared Verse, I'll go through his stuff, you know, just as a reminder, this is the guy who was a zero-star recruit at Albany, weighed 220 pounds. During his COVID year, built a home gym, stacked on 40 pounds of muscle, ends up having a dominant year, transferring to Florida State, 
is ridiculous in his 2022 season. Would have easily been edged to in the class last year behind Will Anderson, um, ahead of Tyree Wilson. Decided to go back to school to Florida State, played another year, took a chance, had another solid year. Um, his PFF grade was his overall, his uh, pass rush grade was 90.5. His uh, run defense grade was 94.0. The guy had 60 total pressures, 11 sacks, and he had a pass, run, pass rush win rate of 20.8%. So just, you know, dominant again. Um, I think he looks a little bit of the luster came off because some of the other guys caught up to him. But for the most part, this is a guy who's got the total package. Wouldn't you say? Similar to Turner, he does everything. He's fast he's powerful he's got powerful hands um great spin move he's got a good repertoire he's a, he's an advanced pass rusher can drop into coverage he's a great fluid athlete like I, this is a guy i think will go ahead of latu um honestly on draft day yeah and yeah it's tough like again i i could still see him being the number one it's just he's not he's not the freak athlete like a dallas turner or chop robinson are he's closer to like a latu as like an athlete still very good just not freak um you know it's a very he's a technician you know you compare him a lot to latu honestly in a lot of ways in a healthy way just not mm-hmm. quite as quite as dominant as latu and i think that's a thing with with uh versus he 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 doesn't like take over games all the time he does occasionally i think the last couple games down the stretch first you know florida and louisville that did a lot for getting putting him back on people's radar. I mean, he had two and a half sacks for Florida and then had two sacks versus Louisville. You know, before that, he had he had nine sacks on the season. Like I know PFF rounds up half sacks, so like his official was nine sacks on the season, and there was four and a half, half of them in the final two games of the season. So like he kind of popped off at the end, but like you said, like his pass rush win rates great is his pass rush grade is great like he's getting hurries he's getting pressures he's getting to the football he just wasn't necessarily taking over the football game like you'd expect somebody who went back to college as a guy who probably would have been a not even probably would have been a top 10 pick the year before and he just really didn't take a next step he looked like he did the year before better or worse i don't know like somewhere around that area um, the extra year didn't seem to really help him. He had more snaps and didn't really get better production. So, you know, I like Jared verse. Do I think he'd be a number one edge in the NFL? Yeah. Do I think that he's, do I see him necessarily as like an all pro? Not as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but I can see him being like a perennial, like Pro Bowl type guy, yeah. right? Like respected around the league by his peers, by coaches. Uh, I think he's the kind of guy that fans of his team are going to love him because the way he plays football. Um, is he going to be like an all pro? I don't know, maybe second team sometimes, you know, that kind of guy. But that's a really good player. Uh, so, you know, again, this class, I think if you really look at the guys in the group, are they dominant in the way you expect Michael Parsons to be? Mm, maybe not. I think Turner has that potential, certainly. Um, you know, but I think these are really good players at the top of the draft and 
listen, if the Giants decide they're going to address this need in the first round, it's not what I would do in the first round, but I think you go a lot, you could do a lot worse than taking any one of these three. But it really probably should be one of these three if you're going to do this in the first round. Yep. Uh, and well, one more I do want to, I do want to talk about Chop just a little bit to throw him into this conversation because Chop, he does not have the per, the box score production these other guys have. He only had three sacks on this year. So obviously not something you want to see out of a, out of a top 10 pick. Uh, but man, 92.3 pass rush grade, 20.9 pass rush win rate. He's had over a 90 PFF grade two years in a row. And this guy is a freak athlete. He was on, he was up. He's a Feldman freak. He was number nine on his list. And like some of the things they had on him, he clocked in a 447 40 yard dash at 6'3, 250 pounds. He he ran a shuttle at 422. He broad jumped 10 7. He bench pressed 400 pounds. Like this guy is going to be a blow up the combine. Yes, he's a little bit shorter at 6'3, but I still got enough height. I, I think Chop Robinson, just based off his efficiency numbers and based how good of an athlete he is i i think he's going to put himself in the conversation for mvp early on i think he'll be in the conversation um i think teams are going to grapple with his with his lack of size specifically with his with his wingspan and arm length um i think they're going to grapple with a lot of his sort of limited pass rush moves and and they're going to wonder does this translate but what goes in his favor is what you said he's an athletic freak and if you're betting on the on the athletic traits, he's a good bet. Um, we compared him to the our comp for him was the water boy um, when we did our edge room. Yeah, I mean he plays like that. He's a throwback. He's nuts, yeah. and I think he's a, he's a guy. You would he would be fun to watch. He'd be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but do I think he's going to go as high as these other three? It's possible. I we'll see. Maybe he blows up the combine and he he passes some of these guys. But right now, I would say he's behind them. Yeah, we'll see, man. I could, I could go any order. Um, you know, Braylon Trice. I'll just mention as the last guy for the sake of mentioning is the only edge we haven't talked about. Braylon Trice. He's the oldest of the group, I believe. He's not quite the athlete, but you know, he's you know, two hundred and seventy-five pounds. I think he's he's got great pressure numbers. I mean, I think he was in the seventies last year. I think he got close up there this year. Um, 88.9 pass rush grade. He had a 16.6 pass rush win rate. So, you know, not the best numbers, but I mean, he is another guy who has a lot of tools, you know, speed to power guy as well. Uh, but he can, he can beat you and counter you inside. And he's, he's a really just good all around player. Um, he's definitely more of a technician with, that kind of relies on his strength and, and works off of that. Uh, big fan of Braylon Trice. If uh, I think he would be awesome here. I think he could be a little bit of that, like Matthew, Matthew Judon to, uh, to this defense for Wink if he's still here. I love Braylon Trice, man. And I do think we need more of like these kind of power guys. And he's just, he's huge. Bull in the China shop, right? That's his mentality. He just, he attacks all the time. He's always attacking. He's unrelenting, and he's a big, strong dude. 
I would love him on the Giants. He's a guy that I don't think is going to fall in the second round. I thought when we did our show initially about edge rushers, this is a guy who would potentially fall to the second round. Um, I don't see it now. Um, it's possible, but I just think I just think there's so much there to like that teams are just going to fall in love with the dude and just take him. I think he's going to the first round. Yeah, man. I could see it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think that's a good conversation on the edge class. Do you have anything else? No. it's. I mean, in, in summary... It's a good group, man. It's probably does it doesn't have a Will Anderson, but there's a lot of good players here. I would say after the first five to seven guys, we we didn't touch on all of them, but there is a bit of a drop off, and then you're doing a lot of projecting. So, if you if you really the real solution, in my opinion, I think in Monty's opinion, to fix the edge room for the Giants is actually spend some money in free agency. I'll, I'll, That's the best possible solution. I'll also say the combine will help a lot with getting an idea of some of these tier two, tier three guys. I'm sure the NFL already knows they, they, they've, they've, yeah. they've caught the athletic athletes just watching the tape. But, um, you know, for us fans, it's kind of easier to identify where the athletes are and then go back to watch it. Once these, once these combines kind of these random freaks blow them up and, you know, edge yeah, one of I those mean, positions. We'll, we'll probably do an episode as we approach draft season on, on the other edges and some guys to look out for, but you know, just some names to, be aware of our guys like Muhammad Kamara from Colorado State, Jonah Ellis. I mean, these are all guys who I think will eventually you he's from Utah. Like these are all guys who I think will um will be risers and people will start noticing. And when you do your mock drafts as draft season approaches, you're gonna see these names pop up a lot and they've had very good years. So this is something to be aware of. Um but why don't we go on to our next question here, man? Yeah, do you wanna go ahead and read that one off? Did you read the last one? I'm not sure. I can read it. So, all right. This group is... Oh, no, wait. It's it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're better at this, uh, keeping track than I am. All right. So our next question comes from Frank Corona. I've been part of this group, but have we been unfairly harsh on Bo Nix as a prospect? Guys, I really, really, I respect... Guys, I respect really like him. Trevor Sikkim is really high on him. And Mike Renner recently said that Bo Nix has the second best arm talent in the class. All right, Frank, thanks for the question. You want to handle this one? Yeah, so I think that there's a two-part of it. I think that it's been both sides with Bo Nix. I think one side has been, you know, hyped him up to be a little bit more than he is, you know. And I respect those guys. Like you said, like Trevor Sikma and Mike Renner are really good at what they do. And, you know, if that's what they're seeing, you know, which is, I haven't necessarily seen that, but, you know, respect to them. But I also think there's been a side that's been unfair to Bo Nix. Bo Nix is a really good prospect. It's just you kind of have to talk about what he is. If you're if what you're evaluating at a quarterback, what you look for in a quarterback is not necessarily you know, arm talent, but you're looking for guys who process the field very well, who have a quick release. And, you know, those are the things that you're like, look, I want guys who can translate to the NFL quickly and well. I think Bo Nix, I could see really people falling in love with him. He he processes the game extremely well. He has 60 plus starts at the college football level. He can move around well. He's not a statue. He, he can improvise, but I don't know about second best arm talent in the class that that I think I really can't agree with as far as runner he works really well if you want to say he has the second best arm talent and I still think is a reach between the numbers I might be able to hear you out but as soon as we talk about outside the numbers 
that's where he kind of falls down in this class when I look at him. But, you know, I really do like Bo Nix. It just has to be in the right system in my mind. How do you feel, Sal? I think Frank's hitting the nail on the head in the way he's asking the question. Are we being unfair to Bo Nix? Because I think there's a lot of... uh, there's a lot of polarizing opinions on the guy, and I think that's sort of the the first impression issue. You know, we, everybody remembers Auburn Phoenix, which was a sh- total shit show. Yeah, one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen in college football, really. Um, and the guy goes similar to Michael Penix Jr. goes to the Pac-12, and he goes to Oregon. And he dominates for two years, and he's a Heisman candidate. We did, you know, a deep dive into his tape. And we like when we did our quarterback episodes, and as you, for those of you watching, a lot of you did watch. We we try to break down the film and combine it with the data. So I think Bonix is one of those guys where there's a the data does more to help him, in my opinion, than the film does. Yeah, um, he he's a data darling. You know, he he's got insane stats and insane production uh, in terms of yardage, touchdowns, his PFF grades under pressure, not under pressure. His turnover-worthy play rates, everything is great. You know, he does, he gets the ball out quickly. He doesn't take a lot of sacks. But the one that, like, the one stat that stands out that does show up in the tape that I think is a knock against him is his big-time throw rate, which is not very high. I'm forgetting what it was. I think it was around like four percent or something. Yeah, it's not high. Um, and I think his turnover-worthy rate is like really low. It's like under one percent or something like it's that. One percent, right? which is best in the country. Right. So. That those two stats, I think, tell the best story of what you see on tape. He is hyper, hyper efficient as a quarterback. He does not make mistakes. You know, I, I mean, I think that's to. I'm not saying that as a knock. You know, he is an elite game manager. Is how I would describe him. Yes. This guy, he is. He's a game manager in the elite way, and that 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 term game manager is getting a lot of run right now, right? Yeah, it from is. The, the Cam the Cam Newton thing, but it's a good discussion. Like I think people use it as like a knock and a derogatory way to talk about these guys. It's not. Game managers understand the situation in front of them. Game managers know how to keep the chains moving. They don't turn the ball over. They make smart decisions. What you have seen from Bonix the last two years is a guy who has stopped relying on natural talent to get him through the day and really relying on what's up here. You know, and I think that's his biggest calling card. This is his strength right up here. 100%. The guy processes the field fast, right? We like that. We want guys who can process quickly. He goes through his progressions really quickly. He processes pre and post snap very well. We see that. Like teams throw different defenses at him. They throw different looks at him. He figures it out quickly. He diagnoses defenses very fast. And he can diagnose diagnose post snap reads very well. All this sounds great. He has a very good arm. He has a good arm, and he will be very efficient and very accurate in the short area. But when you look into his throws and on, on tape and in, in the data, he throws a lot of stuff behind the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. and he throws a lot of stuff in the 0 to 10-yard range. Some of that is the Oregon offense. I think a lot of it, when you look at the tape, is just his tendency, right? He, he, just, he doesn't want to take a lot of t- chances. He likes to move the chains in an efficient way. So you can look at that as like, hey, that guy just knows what he's doing. Plug him into a West Coast system and he's going to dominate, Yeah, which I think is accurate. Um, or you can look at it and say the guy doesn't have the arm talent to actually beat teams who will come crashing down on him and take away the deep ball. And I don't know if you can prove that part wrong. I don't have enough evidence that he's going to beat teams over the top or with, you know, a, you know, to the sidelines, you know, 
when you see him throw the ball deep and you try to see him throw the ball, you know, from one hash to the sideline, the the ball dies. I mean, I think we saw that plenty of times, right? The, he doesn't have that arm velocity that some of these other guys. Do. I think he has a decent deep ball, but when he's throwing with touch on his on his deep ball, it's not it's, it, it, driving like, like Jaden like like Jaden Daniels. I mean, yeah. and very similar Jaden Daniels, right? Like these guys don't have like fastballs, but they have really good touch on the deep ball and fades. And I think the difference I want to mention the difference I think with Jaden Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix is. We described Jaden Daniels, although we didn't love his arm and, and didn't love his fastball. He's a guy who described as can make all the throws. I wouldn't use that description for Bo Nix. I don't think Bo yeah. Nix can make all the throws. I think when you start I, I talking agree. about making field side throws outside the numbers, I question Bo Nix's ability to make those throws. The The amount of time it takes the ball to go. I mean, he'll make the throw, but the amount of time it takes for that ball to get there in the NFL – yeah, that some of those plays are pick sixes in the NFL with the speed and the quickness of these of these DBs, right? Um, now you can argue that Bo Nix will understand that and will not make that throw because he's smart. Yes, he's really smart. So he's a difficult prospect to gauge. I would say that his what's in his best interest is going to a purely West Coast type system, a Shanahan type system. We we said this when we reviewed him. I, I really think he's tailor made for it. You know, you, you brought up the Rams over and over again. Yep. He makes a lot of sense for a team like the Rams. Now, they may run it back with Stafford. Hell, they may make the freaking Super Bowl the way they're playing right now. Yeah. But, Stafford's you know, they're playing amazing football. But, you know, would it be wrong for them to take a shot at Bo, at, at Bo Nix? Even if they sit him for a year behind Matt Stafford, right? As a guy who's there to develop under him and take over. No, he fits that system very well. He might fit Minnesota well. Although I would say that his – I've heard that, that comp – like I mean that uh that pairing I don't like it because I think their receiver room needs a little bit more arm talent to be totally honest like it needs a little bit more in terms of arm strength specifically I I can um, see where you're coming from but those are both really good route runners I think that they would run a, like what Bonix does very well Yeah I mean that's fair I just think they're used to the Kirk Cousins arm which is it's a substantial you know Kirk Cousins has a bigger arm He's a Bo bigger Nicks, arm Bonix it's not like Kirk Cousins has a yeah. has a fucking hose no, he doesn't, but I still think he he can make all the throws, yes, right? He and he can make them from and and I think that's where the, the limitations are. So can I but can I see him fitting in a system like that in some way? Yeah, maybe. Definitely in a in a pure West Coast system, San Francisco, the Rams, you know, teams like that. If he comes to the Giants, I think there's a way for him to be very successful, but it's gonna require tailoring the offense around yeah, him. In many ways, it's it's gonna look, I think, like a better version of what we saw from Daniel Jones in twenty twenty two is what I would describe it as, you know, like it's not going to be a lot of field side throws. It's not going to be a lot of, you know, you know, pressing the the sidelines. It's going to, it's not going to be a lot of, you know, lasers into zone. It's going to be a lot of read the defense, quick throw, short, you know, quick passing game kind of stuff. They're going to have to change the way they run their offense to do that. It's um, not going to be Brian. And I think he can do it. As much. It's going to be Mike Kafka's offense, yes, Mike you know, Kafka. potentially, but it's not going to be Dable's offense. So, I know a lot of fans like him. I have nothing against Bonix. I don't think he's the best fit for if you think Brian Dable and his offense are what is going to, you know, if that, if you think that's going to prevail for the Giants, hopefully it does. Hopefully people don't lose their jobs. I don't think Bonix has the arm that they're looking for. They're going to want someone who has closer to a hose of an arm. Yeah, I you know I've said I've said this a few times. I think that uh, Bonix is kind of who I think people think JJ McCarthy is. And like 
they they're like JJ has no arm and things like that. I think that's kind of like who Bo is. Bo is the game manager. He doesn't have a huge arm, but I do like Bo. I just like him in the the right offense. Like I said he we've talked about it. he truly has the best processor in this draft, and I think you know people get caught up, including myself, about like physical abilities and things like that, and then the draft goes by and be like like oh how do we miss on this guy? We got to start looking for guys who process the game well. And, you know, Bo Nix is going to come in. I'll say this. I think everyone who's saying Bo Nix is their guy, I think are making a safe bet by saying that. Like, when people are like, Bo Nix, Bo Nix can be a good pro. He probably will be. I don't think he has the best right. ceiling. But he's good. anybody who's shitting on Bo Nix right now, he might make you look stupid pretty early on because he's, I don't know about his ceiling, but I think he's going to, he's going to translate to the NFL game very quickly. I, I, I've said I think he has the highest floor in the cl- in the class. I just don't know if he has the best ceiling. I would agree with that. And if you're taking the guy in the second round because you decided to punt on quarterback in the first round, you can see a world where you're like, it doesn't. You, you and I were arguing about this earlier. You know, we were fighting. We were doing it in a much. I was doing it in a much less friendly way to Monty. I'll be much more polite on the pod. <laughs> um, but. Uh, I do see his point, which is if you choose, if you didn't take a quarterback round one and Bo Nix is there at the top of round two, should you take Bo Nix or should you just punt on quarterback at that point? You know, and 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 I think um, your point is just take him because, quite frankly, he has more value than anybody else you're going to take at that position, and I think that's probably fair to say. You know, that even though it may not be in the best interest of the team long term, if you're if you're only view, taking him as a second round player. At minimum, you're probably getting a solid high floor quarterback in the second round who has a trade value. And potentially you're getting a guy you can develop into something like a you know, like a high-end starter. We'll see. I don't think he has high-end starter written all over him, but I think he has solid written all over him. Yeah, I think he has a lot of you know, you he's going back to the Cam discussion that's hot right now is you know, he's not the truck, he's the trailer. And he can and he if you put the right pieces around him. I think he can facilitate that much like Brock Purdy's doing. I think there's going to be a lot of Brock Purdy comps that are going to come up over time, and they're going to use it with a lot of these late-round picks. I don't think people are going to let these game processors fall like they used to, these fast processors, game managers. I think Bo Nix falls into that prototype very well, and he he moves well like Purdy does. I think uh, I think in the right system, that's where, where Bo Nix thrives. It's just... Like I said, he's limited. It it's you gotta. This is one point I want to mention too, and you alluded to this at Auburn. He looked like an idiot, and he was kind of playing this this hero ball, chucking the ball all over the field, and he was getting picked off. And I don't think it's as much that Bo Nix has turned into a different quarterback since he's gone to Oregon. Yes, he's gotten better. He's improved. He's gotten a lot of experience. There's no doubt he's become a better quarterback since he was at Auburn. But I think that they put him in a system he can succeed in. If you take him out of that West Coast system and like those those quick hitters that he's doing at Oregon and put him back into put the ball in his hands like a you're asking him to do what Josh Allen does, he's gonna go back to Auburn Bo Nix, I think. I think that just you saw the limitations from him physically. And he struggled when you ask him to rely on his 
his mental, his head, his brain, and just get the ball quick and how quick he can release the ball and find the open target. That's where you're going to see success out of Bo Nix. So he's limited in what you can do, but in the right system, he, he, he can be a high end player. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think he's the best fit for the giants, but look, if we took him, I think that there's, I wouldn't want him in the first round. I'll put it that way. And I want a first round quarterback. Yeah. But if, you know, if they took him, if they traded up to get him at the back end of round one, or they just sat tight at round two and they got him, I think, I think that that's probably okay. I know some people are really high on him. I would say that uh, Brugler doesn't even have it in in his top 50. And that that says something about how teams probably view both Knicks and Penix, by the way. He's also both Um, Knicks and Penix. And I think you can, I think it's it's probably safe to think that these guys will likely make it to the second round. What do you think? I agree. I think they'll both likely make it to the second round. I think Knicks for, you know, you know, some of his physical limitations, Penix for some of his injury issues and just, you know, then they just, they just have, you know, there's certain things outside of that, but um, they're, I think that they'll probably end up in the second round, uh, but maybe one of them get reached on. I see either of the two of them, but uh, you know, it, he's a good, he's a good player. I, I don't want to shit on him, but it's just, he's very scheme specific. His way. I'll even say one more thing. Like, you can look at a guy like Tua. I wouldn't use Tua as a comp for Knicks. Like, I use Purdy. The difference with Tua is Tua has, like, some of the best accuracy in all the NFL. Knicks is efficient. He gets the ball quick, and he finds the open receiver, and he's he has a great completion percentage and all that. That ball isn't getting put on, like, the fucking keyhole like Tua does he he often is putting that ball like a little bit behind him a little bit away it's not killing the player or anything like that it's just not like elite level accuracy like you're seeing from Tua so even though he has a big arm he has like a minus b plus accuracy which is still great it's not Tua though I would agree I would agree I think that's a good Bo Nix discussion, yeah. and we'll probably be discussing him more as draft season approaches for sure. He's an intriguing prospect. All right. Um, you got to read the next one. Yep. So this one's from our buddy, uh, K-Sexy. Follow him uh, at K-S-I-X-I, one of the best draft balls on all of Giants Twitter. So if you don't follow him, go ahead and do that. But he has a, he has a two-part question for us. So we'll start with the first part. Um and he goes, who is your favorite reasonable, a.k.a. no Marvin Harrison Jr., non-QB prospect for the Giants in the first round if the draft were tomorrow? So All right. start with that one. All right. So I think we – it depends on where you think we're landing. I think statistically speaking, we're probably landing somewhere between four and six, um, most likely, and based on our schedule and what's likely to happen. So let's just put us at five. Yep. For the sake of argument. Um, in my opinion, if you're not getting if you're not getting a quarterback of the top two, um, then what you're down to is, you know, the the two tackles. You're not so we're taking I'm assuming we're taking all the quarterbacks and we're taking Marvin Harrison out for this question. Yep. What we're down to is Olufashanu, Joe Alt, Brock Bowers. Malik Neighbors, 
Uh, you could probably throw Roma Dunes in there. I think I would stop with those five. Um, let's let's limit the list to that because I don't think I don't know about you, but I I don't think any of the edge rushers or corners deserve to be at five. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I think you're, right, so, I think you're looking between the offensive tackles. And the right. So the two tackles, the two receivers, and Brock Bowers, yep. basically. Um, I don't think that we should be investing another top ten pick on an offensive tackle. I would agree. I, I know a lot. Of, I think a lot of Giant fans feel differently. I we've invested two top ten picks in offensive tackles in the last four drafts. One became an all-pro. One looks not so good, but also had to deal with Bobby Johnson. And if you look at Alabama tape of Evan Neal, he's a different human being. I don't know if he can ever be that again. Um, But like we talked about, I think we want to try to address this either in free agency, via coaching, or potentially later in this draft. So I'm going to take the tackles out of this for a second. Plus, they're both left tackles. Yep. Um, you're going to be asking them to do the same thing you did with Evan Neal, just switch them to right tackle. And I don't think old Vishanu or Joel have ever played right tackle, if I'm not mistaken, in the college, right? I don't think at the college level. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's even less. I mean, Evan Neal played a whole year at right tackle. So what you're down to is Brock Bowers and the two receivers. Me personally, I would take Malik Neighbors. If I'm not taking a quarterback here um, and I'm not taking the tackles here, I would go with Malik Neighbors. Bowers is the better prospect, pound for pound, but he's a tight end. And we've talked about this. Like, taking a tight end this high, man, the guy has to basically become a Hall of Famer. Yep. Otherwise, you screwed up. Exactly. And that's, that's a lot to ask. Exactly. Yeah. It's too, and, it's too much and to I, ask. And I, can be. Brock, Bowers is, Brock Bowers is the Saquon Barkley of this, of this top 10 group. He is. <laughs> you know, he's a touch by the hand of God prospect, right? But a lot can go wrong and all of a sudden it looks terrible. So I'm taking him off the list. I'm down to the two receivers. To me, then it becomes easy. I think Neighbors is the better player. Some people think Odunes will be a better pro. Um, he's a very good route runner. He's a big, fast guy. He's he's basically DK Metcalf in many ways. He's probably a better route runner than DK Metcalf. Um, but, you know, I, I like Neighbors. I think Neighbors is a guy who... If you're not taking quarterback here, you take Malik Neighbors. He's easily wide receiver one in almost every draft class other than this one. The guy can do everything. He can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. He has an incredible route tree that he's developed, which is still improving. He accelerates through his breaks. He accelerates through the catch point. He has multiple gears. He finds this like soft spots in zone. He doesn't drop the ball. He's always freaking open. When you watch LSU games, He's always open. It doesn't matter what they're doing. They're, they can be bracketing him, double teaming him. He finds a way to get open on every play. This guy is absolutely a quarterback's best friend. He's sort of like Wandale Robinson with like true number one wide receiver traits, you know, and his ability to get open and then actually be a home run hitter. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's it, to me, it becomes easy when you look at it like that. It's neighbors. What about you? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm I'm right with you. Malik Neighbors has been my wide receiver too. And he he is a special, special wide receiver. I mean, he has he's the prototype of the modern day wide receiver. He he's that, you know, he's like six foot, two hundred pounds. He's so twitchy in and out of his breaks. Great run route runner. All the things you said, he's a deep threat, great after the catch. I mean 
production-wise, 1,545 yards on 86 catches for 14 touchdowns. He's um, just one of the best deep ball receivers in the country. He's has a 93.5 receiving grade, 93.3 overall PFF grade. He has 3.81 yards per route run, a 90.2 grade versus man. I mean, this guy is a total package. He, I've, I've said it before. He would be the top wide receiver in most draft classes, just not this one. Like, there's, like he, he truly is one of the best wide receivers that ever come out of LSU. And I think he has the most receiving yards out of any wide receiver from LSU. You know, that's saying something with Odell Beckham Jr., Jamar Chase, um, Justin Jefferson, Jarvis Landry, Terrence Marshall, like tons of good wide receivers have come out of that school. And I think you could argue Malik Neighbors, at least full career-wise, might be the best. Um, Maybe not the best prospect, I would say. That would still be kind of Jamar Chase, but I don't think he's as far behind as um, probably is getting credit for. But I'll say Roma Dunze, who you know is another year older, he's a senior. It's funny, like you comped him there when you're talking to like DK Metcalf. Like it's funny because physically, like I see where you're coming from. Like I mean, this guy is a special, special wide receiver. He, I think he runs like in the uh, he runs a four three four. He has a four nineteen pro agility. Shuttle. He runs. He has a thirty-seven inch vertical, like six two, two hundred and sixteen pounds. Like he's a big guy and he's an athlete. But dude, this dude's a route runner too. This is one of the best route runners in the draft too. He's a total technician at the wide receiver position. So dude, these guys are both awesome. Malik Neighbors is my guy, but Odunze is he. He is a special, special player who really is hard to give a comp to because he does everything. It's funny. I was just thinking as we were talking here, honestly, who I think Roma Dunze would probably get in comp to if he, if he was in the uh, league before is he's got a little bit of Marvin Harrison jr. To him. Obviously he's like not the same level as him, but you know, the tall athletic route runner. You just don't see those type of combinations. Somebody that type of athlete who's this refined as a receiver. So, um, you know, Odunze is certainly get the case. And I'll also throw in, you know, not ours, but I think will be talked about as a wide receiver. One is Keon Coleman's going to get some talks here. I'll say yeah. I would not like a Keon Coleman pick here. I, I, he, I like Keon Coleman. Keon Coleman is my wide receiver. What is he? My four. He's a tier below these guys for me. Um, you know, he's not a route runner. He's, you know, he's a tall athletic go up and get him type guy but he he's not even as as special as his contested catches are he's not like a an incredible elite high efficiency contested catch guy and that's kind of his main bag like i think he projects well like you watch him on tape you see why he's being he's being put up this high but the other guys they have everything and I and I I think Keon Coleman's missing that that route running from his game that Odunze and, and uh, neighbors have. So I think it's between those two. But I think I'm I'm with you that I, I would pick neighbors, and I think he'd fit this offense really well. Yeah, I think he's he's the guy. Like if 
he's probably the one person that if we if we didn't go quarterback in the first round and we're sitting somewhere between four and six, he's the one guy where I would hate that we didn't take quarterback. And I went on a thank you, Stan, for my rant that included Malik Neighbors yesterday. Said <laughs> said to no Vaseline. Um, but it, that was not a knock on Malik Neighbors. I love Malik Neighbors, the player and the prospect. I just really feel like we need to be going quarterback. But if we didn't, Neighbors is a guy like if we if we were sitting at five and took any with neighbors on the board didn't take a quarterback and didn't take neighbors I'd probably be legitimately like throw my you know throw my remote at the TV pissed at that point mm-hmm. you know I because I, I really think this guy is going to be a top 10 NFL wide receiver yeah I really believe that yeah and that would be like if you're not going to take a quarterback there and you have a chance to take a guy who has that kind of upside you got to take him just look um, like every great NFL wide receiver has come in the league recently he really does he's he's got it you know and we talked about this and i asked you a question would it shock you if at the end of the at the at the end of their careers malik neighbors had a better career than marvin harrison jr and you said no mm-hmm. it wouldn't shock you right even though marvin harrison jr has the potential to be a generational one of the best ever there's a world in which maybe he doesn't achieve achieve that level and neighbors ends up being the better player that's how good he is yeah. it's not a knock on harrison so um Second part of your question, um, give me your deepest possible draftable sleepers. I'm going to let you go first because I've been racking my brain trying to come up with a good one for KSI, uh, but I got one for him. So why don't you go ahead? All right. All right, guys, sexy. I got one for you. I got um, – I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring up a, a West Virginia player. You know, that's where I had I had to go back to that well. But I, uh. I promise you, I promise you <laughs> this one is worth it because I'll, I'll say – I don't know why this guy is such a deep sleeper. It doesn't make sense to me why I don't see him any mock draft simulator. I don't see him on any draft board. I don't understand why, but his name is Beanie Bishop. He's a cornerback for West Virginia. He's 5'10", 185 pounds. He's a, he's a fifth year player. He was at Western Kentucky. Then he transferred to Minnesota and then he just transferred to West Virginia this last year. But Beanie Bishop leads the country with 20 PBUs, it, according to NCAA.com, and it's the most in the country. Um, he is the 13th consensus All-American in West Virginia history. He's a consensus All-American at cornerback, and he's not on draft board. I, make it make sense. He had four interceptions this year. When you watch, When you watch him play, he suffocates wide receivers. He gives them absolutely no room. He is all over them at all times. Um, you know, he's a guy that, despite being at West Virginia for one year, he's beloved here. Like, I mean, he he's declaring for the draft. He's a senior. There was no doubt in his mind that he was going to play in the you know, Duke's Mayo Bowl versus uh, North Carolina. Um, he'll be playing in it. He's, he's recruiting, like, players to come play at West Virginia, even though he's not even going to be here, like, He's really embraced school, um, you know, so I, I I love him for that. But it ultimately says just about, you know, how much he's embraced them, you know, how much of like a team and organization type guy he is. Some of his numbers, 75.7 PFF grade, 76.5 coverage grade, 76.4 tackling grade. So he's really solid all around. Obviously, he's a little bit of an older guy being a fifth year player. Not the biggest of guys, but I mean. 20 PBUs is some, is some ridiculous fucking shit, man. Like, like 
that I mean, just look when you look for at cornerbacks, you look at ball skills, you can get your hand on the football that often. I mean, he needs to be getting more attention. He he should be on draft board somewhere, and he's not anywhere. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. So, uh, yeah, that's my guy. Uh, go Mountaineers. What, what about you, Sal? All right, I rock more. I was gonna give you some guys, but the question said the deepest possible sleeper, uh, dra- po- draftable sleeper. So I, I'm thinking like seventh round, sixth round, like everybody's falling asleep on Saturday yeah. kind of sleeper. All right, and I got a guy who a few of us were talking about in a space not that long ago um, because he pops on tape, and it is uh, Braden Fisk, uh, the defensive lineman from Florida State number 55 of Florida State. So if you've been watching Florida State games, you've noticed this guy. 6'5", 297 pounds, eats up the middle of the line, and he's just a, he just plays with his hair on fire. And you, you watch, I mean, I, I saw him trying to watch Jared Verse, and you see 55 constantly in the backfield causing problems, constantly making tackles, constantly harassing the, the passer. And you're like, who is that guy? Well, here's who he is. He is, he's a senior citizen of a football player. He's a six-year player. He played five years at Western Michigan before transferring to Florida State this year. Um, in his fifth, in his sixth year, he logged he logged uh, four hundred and forty-four total snaps, um, two hundred sixty-three in pass rush, one eighty-one in run defense. So he had two hundred sixty-three true pass rush snaps. He had an eighty-one point two overall PFF. I'm sorry, seventy-two point nine overall PFF grade, sixty-seven point nine run defense. And a 73.5 pass rush. Here's what's interesting, though. He generated 28 total pressures, six sacks from the interior D-line, and he had an 8% pass rush win rate, which is really good for an interior defensive lineman at his size. Uh, nothing elite, but you want, you want a guy on day three who causes problems and plays with, like, a nasty motor? Uh, Braden Fisk from Florida State. Um, I think this is a guy, he, there's a chance he's a UDFA in this draft class, um, especially at his age. But... You know, if you want to take him to sixth or seventh round, I do think this is a guy that somebody can take a flyer on. He's he's going to be the kind of guy that's showing up and popping on the screen next year, causing some problems at, at minimum as a rotational interior defensive lineman. But you know, he has the size, he has the speed, he has the pass rush repertoire of a good interior lineman. So that's my guy. There we go. All right. So always good to talk some some deep sleepers here, and all of those are those get fun, especially the deeper we get into the draft season. So. uh as always, I'm sure I'm sure that's where KSX is already at. He's already through his top 150, so so he he wants to see where we're at with our our deep sleep. Yeah, that's my that's number like 287, <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so uh, let me let me do the next question. Yep. then. this one comes from our buddy Kurt, uh, our philosophy PhD candidate. Uh, <laughs> I believe is that is this the same Kurt? Yeah. Okay. Uh, could you provide tiers for this QB class? Something like one obvious first round grade. If you don't agree, you're unreasonable and beyond the pale. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, <laughs> two first round grade. Dable Shane should be fired if they pass up. Uh, three first round grade. Um, okay. We could alter these a little bit. It's Kurt being Kurt. Love you, Kurt. But um, <laughs> use them as a general guideline. Um, I, I like the categories. Yeah. Uh, so what, what did you, what did you dump, jump into this first? And I'll, I'll join in after you've uh, had a chance sure. to tackle. So the let's first start part with of this. one. I think this one's clear. He goes obvious first round grade. If you don't agree, you're unreasonable beyond the pale. Um, I think the clear one is the first tier. 
Caleb Williams and Drake May. I think that's just a tier of its own in this draft. Um, you know, after those guys is the drop off. I know there's been a lot of hype for Jaden Daniels. Um, I think there's I it's everybody's taste. If you put Jaden Daniels in that top two, then fine. That's great. Like that's how you see them. But those two should not be dropped into another tier. If you want to put somebody else with them, that's great. Like that's just taste. But I think um you know, Brugler put it a good way when they asked him a little bit about this because he's like Mays is number one guy, and they asked him about Daniels as like number two over Mays. Like, look, that just shows like different like teams have different tastes with these guys. But he's like, I'll say this: I never seen Daniels as QB one. I've seen a lot of teams with with May and Caleb as QB one, but never Daniels. So like, he can get moved up to two somewhere, but those guys are the only guys I've seen as QB one. So I think. Those are the clear top two. What, do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, that's it's the top two and everybody else in terms of that specific grade class. All right. Yeah. So, so first round grade, Dable and Shane should be fired if you if <laughs> passed up. So, because the next one is just first round grade, I'm I'm gonna. I think there are five guys who, in my opinion, should have first round grades of this class. I know you're gonna disagree with me on this. Um, but in my opinion, I have five guys who have first-round grades. But if you're going to define the second part of this as first-round grade, Dave Lynch should be fired if they pass up, assuming we're drafting in that you know, four- to six-ish range, I think there's only one guy right now who meets that criteria, and that's probably Jaden Daniels. Yeah. Um, I think he this is his this is his great this is his category where he's he's not in that top tier, but if he's on the board. And you view him the same way I think all these other scouts are now beginning to view him as like this borderline top two, top three quarterback in this class who obviously had a Heisman season, put it all together. If you view him that way, um, yeah, you should be fired if you pass up on him. I agree. He's the, I don't want to say go as far as fired, but I will say that like, he's the one that's going to like get the most rise out of fans because it's like. You know, like we're big JJ McCarthy fans, but there's a good chance yeah. that they pass on JJ McCarthy and he could be sitting there in the twenties. You pass on Jane Daniels, you'll probably go six, seven, eight, something uh, close enough to piss fans off. Like, why the hell didn't we just do it? He got picked right there. He was right there for us. Why didn't we take him? So I agree with you. I think I think Jane Daniels is the one where like production's there. Hype among analysts and teams and all that. Like, I think that there's enough there to just say, like, look, like, we need a quarterback. Like, there's enough to like about this guy. The, the, the profile fits. Like, let's just go take him because, like, it, it fits what we're what we're looking for. He fits. He fits what they they you know everything they look for. He's got like the athletic profile and all that type of thing. That so. Um, yeah, I, he, he, in, in that definition, he's a tier of his own. If you're just looking at guys who, um, I think you could argue would not be a reach here. I think that there's a world where JJ McCarthy can put himself, put himself there, especially with a good playoff performance. He might not be there yet, but I'll, I'll mention that one in there. Yeah, I would agree. Um, to me, Daniels is, and I think I have, I'm not going to change my, assessment of him just because everybody else is super high on him i'm high on him but i'm not as high as others I, i'll yeah, say that agreed. uh um but 
that doesn't mean I don't think he's a very good quarterback prospect. I think at some point you you just dra- you said this was your quote. You just draft good players, right? Yep. You don't overthink it. And a guy's playing really good football and putting it on tape and showing you that he has all the requisite athleticism and all the talent and all the production. You don't need to dissect it too much further at that point. You just say this is a good player. He immediately improves my quarterback room to a high level. Just take him. Yeah, so he's I, he's. I think he's. The, I think he's the only one who fits in this category personally. Yeah, I think you know that's kind of how I got to with it, him is like, yeah, maybe he doesn't like check all the boxes I personally look for a quarterback, and maybe so he'll be a little bit lower for me. But at the end of the day, he's found ways to be one of the most productive seasons by a college quarterback ever. He's hot. He's highly graded by a lot of people. I respect. And at the end of the day, he's he's willed that team to victory. He's showed up in the biggest situations and he's and he's been, you know, one of the most explosive quarterbacks we've ever seen at a college level. And, you know, that's what are we lacking on this team? Explosive plays. That's what he does. So, um, yeah. 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 So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Jane Daniels, even if, you know, my, my evaluation may, may be a little bit less than others. I, I just trust, I trust everybody else and I, I trust the production. Let's ride. Um, but number three, uh, just simple first round grade. How do you, how do you put that? Yeah, I, I have two guys here that are not in the first three, uh, JJ McCarthy and Michael Penix Jr. Um, and I know that's going to differ with a lot of opinions out there. Um, I do not have a first round grade on Bo Nix. I have a second round grade on Bo Nix. I, the reason I differentiate Penix from Nix is simply because of the arm talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think Michael Penix Jr. is clearly a cut above Bo Nix when it comes to arm talent. When you incorporate the ability to use accuracy and understanding leverage and touch with arm strength down the field, which yeah. is something Bonix does not have. He doesn't have that in his repertoire. Like he has good touch passes, but he doesn't have the kind of the howitzer that uh, Michael Penix Jr. has. Michael Penix Jr. is the best in the class at escaping pressure in terms of not avoiding sacks. He's not a scrambler to run, but he doesn't take sacks. He had no. a sack, I think it was a seven or 8% pressure to sack rate, best in the class. He's consistently like that. He's, he has a tremendous pocket presence, tremendous feel, gets the ball out quickly reads defenses doesn't take a long time yet you know his time to throw is around 2.7 2.8 seconds so he controls safeties he's a very very advanced passer to me um that's all that adds up to a first round grade you have to diminish it based on his age and his injury history but i'm gonna go ahead and say that you can't really incorporate that fully without knowing what his medicals look like right now and they may be perfect for all we know right now right it's not going to be perfect from his history, but I think just looking at the player, he's a first-round graded quarterback, which I don't have for Bo Nix. To me, J.J. McCarthy is definitely a first-round graded quarterback. I think he shows all the requisite skills as in, in terms of arm talent, arm strength, processing speed, accuracy, um, the ability to create with his legs, the athleticism to scramble and throw, the athleticism to, athleticism to scramble and run, the speed to run, a powerful arm. Uh, he has every tool you could imagine, and he has produced just not to the volume that people want him to. And that I, I personally think that's purely a product of the Michigan offense. Um, some people counter with, well, how do you know? It's because they don't think he can handle a, a more robust passing game. And I, I honestly don't have an answer for that, right? We don't know. But 
I've been watching Michigan football for a long time, and I can tell you that offense is is running exactly how it's been running for years, yeah. but well before J.J. McCarthy. This is just how they run their offense. So I think talent-wise, age-wise, projectability, he easily has a first-round grade. So those are my two first-round graded quarterbacks that are outside the first two categories. What about you? So, yeah, I personally, I think I'd have a, four, a fourth group here because I think round one, straight round one, I think I only have JJ McCarthy here left. I think JJ that's a, is that's fair. He's gonna he'll be if he doesn't go round one, I think it's a mistake. I think he is a first round quarterback. He has all the tools. I don't have a lot of questions about JJ McCarthy. He could throw a touch more. He um he can be he's inconsistent at times. He the offense doesn't fully show him off. I'll say if anybody's looking to watch JJ McCarthy tape, go go back and watch TCU last year. Um it's a really good game to show you kind of both sides of JJ McCarthy. He throws a couple picks in that game, which obviously not a great look for JJ, but you know, they kind of had, you know, with Blake Quorum out, they kind of had to open that offense up and kind of let JJ be the guy. And he nearly battled back and won them that game. He made a lot of plays with his legs, get out, run and make a pass. He, it was a really impressive showing. Um, it's really one of the only times we got to see that from J.D. McCarthy. It's not his best game he's ever played, but it got, it's really the only game where you got to see him be the guy. So it's it's a good one to watch. But um, as far as Bo Nix and Michael Penix, I mean, I do have Michael Penix as my next guy. I would put them both in around one to two. One, it'd be like one first round to second round. And that's where I'd have them. Michael Penix, I'm not as high as you on. Um, I think a big factor is that is I really value um, athleticism in a quarterback. I think just the way the league is moving nowadays, I think, you know, you see guys who are less mobile in today's game, but those these guys have been around for a decade now at this point. I think it's gotten to the point where how athletic defenses are that, and how quick teams are pulling pulling these young quarterbacks that, if you can't use your legs to succeed early on, unless you're in a great situation, it's kind of hard to, and he's very advanced mentally, but it's still like, you still have to kind of like get to that next level and experience of picking up the NFL speed and things like that. And it's kind of hard to get there without the athleticism to really kind of create for yourself. Unless you have a great offensive line. So that's, that's one, that's what worries me the most from a personal aspect. Um, I think his accuracy could be, better i don't think it's bad or anything like that but i don't think he has the especially on like touch passes i don't think he has the best touch accuracy um in this class uh and then the injury thing the injury thing is kind of worries me he has a acl in both knees any acl injury at this point is a second acl injury no matter what knee it, it happens to and you know that's worried me a little bit all that said he's still first second round I mean, you said all the all the things you like about him. And I agree with all those things. He's he's a very good passer, and I'd be hap I'd happily take him at the end of the first or early second. Um, Bo Nix, we talked about him enough earlier. Um, he would be behind Penix for me still, but he would still be somewhere like you know, twenty to fifty. It's basically kind of where I I kind of put that range, and I would put him in there. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I, I think what you're describing is probably the more likely way that would shake out on grades. But since we're giving our personal grades, 
I would actually, I, I think I differ just a little bit, really just on where we place Penix, but it's it's a fairly small difference. I think we both feel like he belongs somewhere in that 20 to 35 range yeah, as a You're towards the player. end of the first round tier and I'm kind of in front of the first second. So Yeah, and a lot of that's going to be dependent on whether or not teams want to trade up and stuff like that. It's not going to necessarily be like absolute value, but I think that's sort of how we view these guys. And I think after those guys, I really do think there's a bit of a drop off. Um, you know, Ewers I think is next time the list guy you can mention, probably first, second, potentially. Yeah. I mean, Ewers is a guy who I think should, there's no reason Ewers shouldn't be in our first round grade. That's on him. Yeah, he should be yeah. here, right? I, now. I agree with that. Okay. When I, when I say that, I mean like the guy was the top recruit in America when he came out. He has every tool you could imagine. He's big. He's strong. He has a cannon of an arm. He can make every throw. He can move. He has every imaginable athletic trait you would want. And he sometimes puts it on display and does incredible things. But he's not a refined passer at all. And he has too many boneheaded plays and too many boneheaded games. That you know, he he may just be going back to school. I will say that the last three or four games he's put together his best tape in college, like consistently. The last few games, he's got his team in the playoffs. They're gonna face Washington. That game is, and potentially the two games if they beat Washington, are going to determine Quinn Ewers' fate. Yeah. If he has a good run here, if he puts, if he continues what he's been doing the last few games, and he has incredible output especially on the biggest stage you know i I have a hard time believing he's going to go back to school at that point i think he's going to be told look somebody's going to take a swing at you you know probably in the first round maybe in the early second but you're not falling beyond that point and then you're then if your ear is like do you go back to school and risk it to try to become like a top 10 pick versus just coming out you know i don't know also if you stumble you have arch manning right behind you in a sophomore year like and and you could be look and you could be looking to transfer again yeah. or come out without you know like it's risky. So he's a guy that I think should be here. I think at best he earns a first slash second round grade. What do you think? Even if he does really well, that, that, uh, if he does really well and wins a national championship, I think he could put himself just off of, of his talent into like the first round. Would you place him above my? Would you place him above Michael Penix Jr. if he has two really big games and he wins a national title? Yeah, probably. If he if he has two really big games and wins the national title. Yeah. It's a good discussion. I probably wouldn't. I get it. I think it's close. Because um, I think sample size matters, right? And there's a big sample of success with, with Penix, and there's not enough with yours. But nevertheless, he would be in that category. Again, anyway, again it he'd depends be right there. which team, just like it does with Penix, though, because you need a good exactly. coach where, where yours is going. Yep. Uh, I hope they answer your question, Kurt. Um, you got the next question here from Ask Seven. Yep. Uh, all right. How many teams in the top fifteen can you see picking a uh, first round quarterback? Trying to understand the competition slash landscape and what teams we would have to trade up in front of the Giants. Uh, what teams would have to trade up in front of the Giants to select a quarterback? So, um, yeah. So I I listed some here. Um, I don't know if you want to go through it and kind of what you were thinking about as far as I basically just listed any that were outside the playoffs right now. Yeah. So, so this is our list of teams that are right now sitting out probable top 15 teams and, 
every one of them could conceivably be looking for a quarterback. Yeah, uh, all the ones I listed were. I, I, I took out the ones that won't need a quarterback. But. Yeah, so let's start counting them. The Bears, who have two of the picks. Mm-hmm. So with one of the picks, they're taking a quarterback. Or they might be, at least. We don't know yet. But they conceivably could be. Should be. New England. Arizona. Maybe Arizona. Um, well, to be seen. Um, I would say probably not to them, but maybe. Yeah, unless they get the um, first pick, so probably not. Yeah. Washington definitely is a possibility. The Giants, obviously. Atlanta definitely should be, unless they trade or sign a veteran, which is an interesting you know, thing for them, the position they're in. The Raiders, for sure. Seattle, I think, for sure. The Jets, maybe. You had Seattle as a maybe. I think Seattle for sure should be looking at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Jets, maybe. The Titans, maybe. The Steelers, you have maybe. I think, again, it depends on if they they sign a veteran. Um, if they don't, I would say yes. You don't the think Steelers. they would roll another year with Pickett? I don't think so. So there's a decent chance Mike Tomlin's gone at the end of this year. You think? Um, They've been saying that forever. I know, but... It's not this time. It feels kind of real, um, you know. Mm-hmm. And if he is, I'm sure that they would move on from Pickett. Yeah. If he's not, I mean, he's Pickett's the reason Mike Tomlin might get fired. <laughs> so, and, um, and that was Colbert's like, last I, pick. So it's not even the current GM, <laughs> even though he was in the front office. But. Right. I mean, Omar Khan hasn't picked his own quarterback yeah. yet. And the guy is such a, he's such a good GM. It's hard to imagine he would have picked Kenny Pickett, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think I would put them more in like the definitely would in definitely category. Um, not that they definitely would, but that, that, yeah, they would absolutely consider taking a quarterback. Yeah. Um, and then the guys that you had just missing the top 15, um, who are probably in the quarterback sweepstakes, depending on where they land and who's on the board would be the Vikings, the Bucks and the Rams. Um, the Rams we just talked about, interestingly, they're fighting for a playoff spot, and they are making a run at this thing. Um, but the question is, how many years does Matt Stafford have left? Um, you know, his wife has cancer. He's getting older. Lots of injuries. How many years? To get, yeah, a lot of injuries. Um, if you're smart, you want to start looking at the possibility of investing in a player like a Bo Nix, um, maybe a Quinn Ewers for a team like that. You know, you could see them taking a swing. The Bucks. I don't know what they're going to do with Baker Mayfield. I mean, yeah, they're, they're in a tricky top. spot with him. They're in the they're in um, the the spot that you don't want to be in. They're in where the Giants were last year. Yep. Don't make the same mistake. Big Baker's better. Baker's a lot better as a quarterback. He's he better. A I wouldn't say a lot better. He's better. He's mid. He's, his he's his highs are a lot higher. I would say. Um, you know, as a passer, as a passer, sure. he's got much more arm talent. But I agree with your general sentiment that he's mid, that he'll fool you. Yeah, and the same mistake. And if he, he's he's a tweener, right? He's a borderline starter, elite backup, you know, kind of guy. He's going to bounce around the NFL for a long time. If somebody makes the mistake of giving him a big multi-year deal, I have a feeling most of that deal, they're going to be wondering, why did we do this? You know, um, so they're in a tough spot. You get him for the Geno like, Smith deal, maybe, but if you pay him Daniel Jones money, that, that's going to be a mistake. Yeah, anything more than like a year of guaranteed money, I think, would be a huge mistake mm-hmm. for Baker Mayfield. Uh, and then you got the Vikings, who, if you're not, they may just bring back Kirk. You know, they may do that. But if they don't, 
they definitely need a they need a quarterback to go with that room. You can't like roll the dice with nobody. Yeah, they're gonna need somebody with some talent. And I've always thought Michael Penix Jr. is a perfect fit for them. Um, you know, but I think that's it. So what, what's I mean that's a that's that's like half the damn league we just named. Yeah, a lot of you know <laughs> a lot of teams could take a quarterback. So what team do you? Here's a here's a question. What team? What do you say? Or like would trade up if they have were in the position to take Jaden Daniels? Let's say, would they take right. him? So like, right? Because every one of these teams would take May or Caleb or, or May. So let's take them off the off the table. Yep. Um, but so who would take Jaden? Would the Bears take Jaden Daniels to replace Justin Fields? I don't think so. I agree. Would the Patriots take Jaden Daniels? Yes. Yes. Would the Cardinals take him? No. Would the would the Commanders take him? I think it's I th- I think it's leaning yes with with the Howell bench. I mean I think Howell might play again next week, so it's not a guaranteed. I, I new ownership, new coach. I think yes. I I think they would strongly consider yes, taking Jaden Daniels. I really do. Um, would the Giants take him? Hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah. Would Atlanta take him? I think absolutely. Yes, I think so. They would. Would the Ra- Would the Raiders take him? Absolutely. absolutely. Would Would Seattle take him? I think so. Yeah. I think if they so. were, if they happen uh, to be sitting there with a pick and Jaden Daniels, I think they would take him. I don't know if they would trade up for him, but I certainly think they would take him if he was there. Would the Jets take him? No. Yeah, I think so. I don't, you don't think so? I don't think Rodgers would let him. Well, okay, well, if you want to take the Jets out of it because of the Rodgers factor, that's fine. Um, so we have six so far. Would the Titans take him? No. I think that they're going to give it at least another year of the Will Levis experiment, the Will Levis experiment before they do anything else. I think, I think so, you could very much make the case that if you put Will Levis back in this draft after what you saw in redraft it, he might go ahead of, of Daniels. I don't know if I would do it, but I'm just saying these, she's, show, she's showing enough flashes to feel that you could go that way. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think so, honestly. I don't, think, I don't know if I agree with that, but... Um, but I don't think they would take him. Um, Steelers, I would say yes, they would. Yes, I agree. if they don't have a free agent quarterback that they add, uh, would the Vikings take him? Yes, that's yeah. eight. With the Bucks, I would say yes, mm-hmm. that's nine. With the Rams, I would say yes. So that's ten teams. That's ten. So ten teams, I think, on this list would, the Rams would take Jaden Daniels if they were presented. How many would actually trade up past the Giants to get them? That's a smaller number. Um, yeah, like I don't even know the Rams would take them if they were in the top five. Like I think the Rams would probably just take like a like an offensive lineman, probably. But all right, so let's let's say nine teams if you take the Rams out of it. Um, the others are realistic. There's like nine teams that would potentially take Jaden Daniels. Um, I think at least three of those teams, if not four, will be drafting ahead of the Giants, um, and then another four or five will be behind. So I think what you're looking at is maybe four or five teams behind the Giants that could theoretically pass trade up to go past them if they wanted Daniel. So you're talking about Atlanta, the Raiders, uh Seattle, and the Steelers. And m- maybe well, and then maybe the Vikings and, and Bucks. So I mean I was five, maybe six teams. That would trade. That would at least consider trading past the Giants. I think that's realistic, um, and that's a good question because would they actually do it? I don't know, but that's a lot of teams that could potentially make the move. It depends on the price, you know. Like, um, 
I think I think Washington's the number one team you got to worry about. Like it, that's potentially could be in front of us that would take him, assuming we lose out. I think that's the team you worry about the most. Um, obviously, it would be ideal situation that you end up just fourth here, and you know if you want them, you can have them type of thing. You get choice of basically QB three, unless somebody wants to trade up in front of you, and then whatever you get Marvin Harrison Jr. and you got to figure it out from there. But um. Uh, or trade out of Marvin Harrison Jr. Whatever you want to do, you have the asset of Marvin Harrison Jr. sitting in your lap, so that's not the worst thing. Um, but yeah, we looking from there. I think Atlanta and the Raiders, I think, are definitely two teams that you got to keep an eye on to see if they'd be willing to trade up and make a move like that. I don't think um, Seattle would come all the way up unless they really start to lo- lose out and get posi- in position, but um. Look, you gotta look at the Raiders, man. I mean, they. I feel like they feel like they have to make a move right now. I feel like that's that's what where they're at. They told they totally got rid of their quarterback situation. Give me a new coach, new GM. I feel like they're gonna want to make a move at quarterback. I don't doubt that some team will try to make a move up at some point in this class because these quarterbacks are good. I think the better way to look at this question though is if you're the Giants and you pass on quarterback from the position you're in, all these teams we just listed, not only would they want Daniels, a bunch of them would want J.J. McCarthy too. Mm-hmm. And and they'll, like, they're not going to be there the second go-around. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're going to have a hard time trading back up to get past them. Yeah. Uh, to to trade. So, which, I mean, in the scenario that, you know, that we, and we'll, we'll do this exercise at some point, but in the scenario where the Giants say, you know what? I can figure this quarterback thing out later in the first round. I'll trade back in or I'll, I'll wait till the second. I'm going to take Malik neighbors at five, right? That was the question that was asked earlier, but you want a quarterback. You're going to have to give up a first round pick and then some to, to slide back into the first round to get ahead of these teams to assure yourself of a first round graded quarterback. That's the bottom line. Yeah. You know, it's going to cost another first, you know, I do not think, Guys like Daniels, guys like McCarthy are going to slide into the twenties. Uh, I really don't believe that's going to happen. Yeah, it's possible that McGann- I guess McCarthy could, but I don't think it's likely. Yeah. So you're going to have to get into the mid-teens at the you know, or or potentially the bottom of top ten again to get to assure yourself one of these guys. Um, so that means if you take a if you take a Malik Neighbors number one. Just keep in mind, you're probably giving up next year's number one and maybe one of your seconds this year to slide back in to the first round uh, and, and get your hands on one of these guys. Yeah. Well, what would you, what, what pick would you, let, let, play it out, Monty. Like, let's say we, the Giants take neighbors at five and you want, you're comfortable with either Daniels or McCarthy. So, and you're Joe Shane. So, where, the, where's your, where are you trying to get to? So, I think you could get somewhere between like, 16 and 20 with two seconds. That's about where the, the draft points add up between your two seconds. So I think you could theoretically get into there without paying a first. That might not be high enough. Yeah, it might not be. But I think that's ideally where you're targeting if you're coming back up for a quarterback. And, and so the the tricky part of this is if you have conviction in a quarterback where you're willing to trade back up into the top 10 to take them, the correct move is not take Malik oh, yeah. Neighbors. Do, do, if you're coming back in the top 10, do not do anything other than take quarterback. Don't. Just just take your quarterback. Yeah. 
if you don't have top 10 conviction in these guys, but you like them and you want to play the board and you have strong conviction in a guy like Neighbors that you want to get him on your team, then the play is really take the, the, the position player in Neighbors and then set sort of a number and like, I'm willing to trade up to a certain level to get these guys and we'll see where they fall, which shows that you don't have a ton of conviction. But hey, the, the Ravens did this in 2018. Right, Played they the took court. Hayden Hurst at twenty-five. Yeah, they took Hayden Hurst at twenty-five, and they saw that Lamar didn't go in the last few picks, and they traded back up to thirty-two and got Lamar, and they got an MVP. Yep. So um, it set their team up for a decade. So I mean, I think that you could theoretically play the game like that, but you're probably not playing it unless you're trying to play it for the back half of round one. Yeah, right, and, I, and that's a way to look at it. So. It's tricky. I think the short answer is there's a lot of teams that would be willing to move around to get their quarterback. There's a lot of teams that'll sit still, and if the quarterback falls to them, they'll take them. Um, all of these roads lead to to me having one conclusion, the one we keep banging the door, banging the drum for, which is just take your quarterback. <laughs> you know, find the quarterback you like and just take him. Make it easy on yourself. So we have we have one we'll go have one more question here and i think it kind of just goes off of what we were just talking about so we can hit it pretty quick here you know if we go position with our first round pick would you rather um package our second to come back up for the first to get the fifth year option or just pick them with this your second round pick and that's from our buddy uh, a, radical that is a good question um to me, I'm prob. I think the value, if you're talking about just pure value, that fifth year option is right now worth what, like twenty three million or something like that for a quarterback, versus what that quarterback would theoretically make on the open market, or that you'd have to pay him, which is be closer to fifty million. So let's say it's like twenty five million dollars in value. Um, hard for me to imagine a second round pick being worth $25 million in value. Um, and that's how I'm looking at it. So my answer is if I have conviction in the guy and I want him, I'm getting back into the first round. I want that fifth year option. I'll, I'll give up the picks to get him. What about you? I agree. Uh, I'll throw one caveat into here. Like I said, like JJ is a guy that I like a lot. And I think it's going to be a first round pick. And if you're coming back up for him, I think you're paying for the talent and you're playing for that fifth year option. I'd pay both seconds. to do that. I'll say a guy like, Michael Penix, or I guess even like a Quinn or the Bonix, whoever it is, who I'm more of a first, a second on, I would probably pay to get that fifth year option, but I wouldn't be dropping two fifty top fifty picks to do it. I would drop one of the seconds, maybe a third, whatever it takes. Yeah. But I wouldn't drop both both just to get the fifth year option. I and I think that it won't cost both to get into the back half of round one for these guys. Yeah, not like twenty five thousand. Right. Yeah. I think, I think you're looking at, you'd probably have to give up that first second and a day three pick or something like that. Right. Or maybe in a third in the future or yeah. something like that. Two, two day three picks, two early th- day three picks or something. Something that you're not going to miss too much. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll, it'll suck to not have that extra pick, but not, you know, I don't think it'd be too painful. Having that extra second round pick from the Leo trade is really key. It gives the giants some flexibility here. Yeah. They had just traded Saquon Barkley, they would have had another day two pick. Yeah. Um, you know, but I digress. Um, but the short answer, Rad, is I would I would try to get back into round one again, my God, because I think the value of the fifth year option is substantial. 
And in terms of pure financial value, it, it cannot be underestimated. Like you're assuming the quarterback you're taking is going to be good. You're assuming you're going to pick up that option. You're getting a cheaper deal for one year than you would get, um, you know, and it also gives you negotiating leverage with him to extend him. Uh, so I think it's valuable. Um, I guess the counter to that would be if you're going to pick up the fifth year option, you probably already worked out an extension with a guy. Yeah. Right. Um, and then does it really matter? Um, but you know, if you, if he's good enough to pick up the fifth year option, even if you're not sure what you're doing, I like Justin Fields, mm-hmm. that guy's going to get you back a second round pick in return anyway, somewhere down the line. So I, I think it's worth making the move. I think the, the upside is worth it. Would, it. would you agree there? Yeah. And just also just securing, make sure you go get your guy. Like that's the other yeah. aspect of it. Right. So I'd probably give up like a second and a third or something to get that pick. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the last one here, I don't think we have to talk about anything. We pretty much nailed it. I just want to shout him out. Christopher Tony and our YouTube comments are last one. said, edge rushers and wide receivers, your next mailbag, please. I think we talked about edge rushers a lot, a good bit of wide receivers. Um, if you have any other, you know, players within that you want to hear about, you know, DM us, let us know. I'm sure we'll do another mailbag episode too. But, you know, appreciate you uh, giving, giving us a question for the mailbag and responding, uh, commenting on the last video. But, yeah, that that's all of them. That's all our questions that we got. We got through them in our usual very brief two hour pod. Yeah. Um, so we we got through it. Uh, but no, listen, we appreciate you guys sending the questions. They really sparked some good thought process and debate. We hope you enjoyed the the mailbag. We'll probably do more of these as time goes on. Um, we're gonna keep things going. We're gonna definitely be circling back to some position groups and prospects as we approach draft season. Uh, it's going to be upon us sooner than you know. Um, just some minor stuff. The Giants, this is minor, unfortunately. The Giants do play on Christmas Day. They play the Eagles. Um, so we'll probably be talking a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not really paying attention to Tankathon, but I think, like we've mentioned many times in this episode, chances are we're landing somewhere in that four to six, four to seven range. Um, based on what will likely happen with the outcome of these games. You can't tell, but I think it's something to pay attention to who's above us, who's below us. Um, there are no, there's no big games this week, but uh, the college football playoffs are getting closer and closer. So on, remember on, on New Year's Day, you're going to have the semifinal games. Uh, the semifinal games are going to be Alabama versus Michigan and Washington versus Texas. All the bowl games happened before that. There's a ton of them. I'm not going to go through all of them unless you want to go through them, Monty. Uh, but, no, I'm all right. you know, I, you just sit down and enjoy your bowl games as they come one by one. Um, but do you have any closing thoughts here? Oh, man, just draft season's here. So, uh, you know, be back here and we'll uh, we'll keep giving you guys some good draft information. We're, we're looking forward to, to breaking it all down. We got a lot. We got a lot of work to do to go back to each of these position groups and finding what we got to find. So ready to get yeah. back in the scout. Anyway, with that, thank you guys. Follow us at He's a Giant Pod. Follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Follow me at Queens underscore guy. Follow Monty at M O N T E C R I five T O. With that, you guys have a really, really awesome holiday. Whatever you celebrate, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa. Happy late belated Hanukkah, whatever. Uh, but happy holidays. Uh, we'll catch you guys later. Go Giants. Giants.